0: versus marvel it's bill versus
1: versus marvel there was an idea to bring together a set of remarkable podcasters to see if they could become something more to see if they could work together when we needed them to rewatch the films we never could hello and welcome back to bill versus the mcu i am not bill say hi bill i'm not bill either i'm a variant Uh oh (laughs) i am your host pop break podcast editor alex marcus and today we are back for our eighth installment in our rewatch of the entire marvel studios produced marvel cinematic universe Each and every month, we usually focus on three or four films from the first four phases of the MCU, reminiscing about our first watches, reflecting on our latest viewings, and considering the wider multiverse ahead. This week, however, we are kicking off our coverage of Phase 4, which is the first phase of the MCU to officially include TV series. And... That will be our focus today, as we review all four 2021 Disney Plus originals. That includes WandaVision, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, and Hawkeye. Now, you might be saying to yourself, but wait a second, Alex. What about those Marvel Netflix shows like Daredevil and Jessica Jones? Aren't they in the MCU? Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. stars Avengers star Phil Coulson. That must be in the MCU, too. Why ignore those shows and focus on the Disney Plus shows instead? The answer to that is that for now, the Disney Plus series are the first time that Marvel Studios, as opposed to Marvel TV, which is a now defunct subdivision of Marvel Entertainment led by Jeff Loeb, have produced original content, which is why some of these shows actually star actors who appear in the films on an ongoing basis and they interact and form the films in a more direct way. Now, Bill, I know that you had the pleasure of reviewing every single episode of these four series for your weekly podcast, Socially Distanced. But prior to that, I am curious how much Marvel TV produced series or other comic book TV adaptation experience you have and what your expectations were headed into viewing these Disney Plus series when they first started.
0: Uh, I believe I reviewed the first episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. uh, for ThePopBreak.com before Luke Calamar, our first television editor, took over. I think I was just filling in for him. So I definitely remember watching that first episode. Uh, I did not get a chance to really watch any of the Netflix series uh, outside of seeing random clips on the Internet, especially the infamous Daredevil stairwell fight scene. But as far as my expectations were, uh, this was an interesting time for me because – Um, As we discussed, um, you know, I didn't watch the big the last two Avengers films, the big ones, um, and I was kind of out on the MCU outside of Black Panther. So there was a lot I had missed out on. But Disney Plus had shown me from The Mandalorian that, wow, they can really produce a really good television show. And when I saw the trailer or the teaser for WandaVision, that's what hooked me and really got me back into this world of Marvel, because this was something I was not expecting. Because I remember also seeing The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm like, oh, this is a buddy cop thing. Okay, I get it. But when I saw the WandaVision trailer, I was like, this is giving me strong, like, Twin Peaks vibes. This is something really different. And I think I really want to dive into what this show is going to be. And from that first episode of WandaVision,
1: I was hooked back into Marvel. For me, I have been a longtime comic book TV viewer. I've watched almost everything that exists in that capacity. I definitely grew up watching Smallville, even watched a little bit of uh, the New Adventures of Superman, or uh, the Lois and Clark show from my childhood. I definitely watched a lot of the Arrowverse. I even wrote a column about the Arrowverse for a while for Pop Break. Uh, and yeah, it's, I was always, I was very interested in the idea of Marvel truly committing to TV as a medium, because of course I kind of suffered through the highs and lows of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when it was tightly connected to the MCU and when it was no longer connected to the MCU. I watched the Agent Carter series and really liked that, but they were always kind of like second banana. It was definitely a uh, little brother syndrome over there, and I was interested on what, It would actually mean when kevin feige took over and they got the budgets and they got the stars and they really were able to tell serialized stories on the tv landscape because i think what's so interesting about marvel as we've talked about it is that in a lot of ways it functions like a giant tv show uh in the way that it's interconnected and serialized and such so it seemed like there was a lot of potential for it to work as a tv show if they could get the budgets right and get the talent right and that was the promise of Disney Plus. Let's kick off this coverage that we've been that we have. We have a really busy slate. Yeah. We're excited to dive in. WandaVision is where we're going to be starting as we said. It aired from January to March of 2021, created by writer Jack Schaefer and directed by Matt Shakeman. The series stars Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff and Paul Bettany as the Vision. Now as we always do with every phase. We're gonna be shuffling some of our segments around, uh, retiring some, bringing in new ones, but we're gonna be kicking off, as we always do, with Fury's Notebook, where we welcome new additions to the MCU, and this has quite a few. First off, we have uh, Tiona Paris coming in as adult Monica Rambeau. Uh, We have Katherine Hahn, the excellent Katherine Hahn, who I'm a long, long time fan of, uh, as Agatha Harkness. Fred Melmid, who I am also a fan of and surprised to see on this show, as Mr. Hart. Uh, Deborah Jo Rupp, you might know her from that 70s show. She is Mrs. Hart. We got Josh Stamberg as director. Tyler Hayward. Uh, Julianne Hillard as Billy. Jet Klein Klein as Tommy. Evan Peters as Pietro, a.k.a. Ralph Boner. We'll get into it. (laughs) And Emma Caulfield-Ford as Dottie. Anyone that I missed that you want me to talk about here?
0: Uh, You know, I'm just thinking of people we introduced. No, those were, I believe, all the introductions outside of some, you know, side characters
1: in the neighborhood. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't include Herb. No disrespect to Herb. I feel like he really just has that one moment that's notable. Yeah. Now we're going to move on to uh, the triumphant return of Luis's Story Corner, but this time with a twist. I... And uh, not Bill are gonna have to recount as much of the plots of these shows as possible in 90 seconds, and Bill is gonna man the stopwatch. So,
0: I'm ready to go. You're
1: ready to go? All right, cue me in.
0: Three, two, one, go.
1: Okay, so we start off, and we are in the 1950s, but Wanda is in black and white, and she is the star of her own sitcom. Uh, It turns out uh, she is Taken hostage a whole town In the state of New Jersey called Westview And she is trying to Recreate all of her childhood fantasies While struggling with her depression Over the loss of vision who she has Recreated Uh, Somehow magically we don't really know Uh, Meanwhile we have uh, uh, We have uh, uh, The SWORD agency Led by terrible terrible man Tyler Hayward Uh, He is investigating uh, this anomaly the Westview Anomaly, as it is known. Uh, He brings in uh, Tiana Paris's Monica Rambeau, who has recently uh, reawoken from the snap. Her, along with our good friend uh, from Ant-Man and our other good friend from Thor, uh, try to come together to uh, solve the problem of Monica, while Tyler only wants to get his hand on this new vision, who they don't know why it exists. Uh, And... And, uh, so we cycle through a whole bunch of different versions of, uh, sitcom families all the way the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, to today, uh, while, uh, she is struggling Wanda to process her grief. Uh, turns out that, uh, Catherine Han was playing Agatha Harkness all along. She was manipulating Wanda to try to find out exactly how she has this power. Uh, and, uh, then there's another version of Vision and, uh, he, the two Visions fight and Wanda turns Catherine into a oh. mindless suburban zombie. <laughs>
0: oh well i mean a minute that was a minute 30.
1: all right i got into i didn't talk about the kids but otherwise did that make any sense? that's not bad
0: i like how you were just like our friend from this we didn't give jimmy and darcy names so that's fine. well you knew them. <laughs> I mean, they are friends, they're friends our buddies our pals.
1: exactly. That was
0: good. did you so that have, is, did you have them written out or you just had?
1: What oh else? absolutely not i had nothing i have no notes in front of me so that was exactly how
0: I did Luis's Corner. Right? I was just like, oh, crap, I got to remember stuff now. So good. Yes. All right, we did good. The get only it.
1: difference is that I didn't time you because uh, oh. I'm not as mean to you as I am to myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I would have been, like, stuck at, like, well, Ant-Man is an ant. Or <laughs> <30 laughs> 90 seconds, Bill.
0: You're like, ah, fuck. <laughs> he's big. He's small. Things happen.
1: Yes. Okay, so are there any important details from that plot synopsis that I left out that you will get into other stuff later, but any kind of big points that I – or did I hit everything pretty well? I mean, you you talked about taking the the town hostage, sword. They have children together. I guess that's a big deal. Uh, (laughs) She creates them out of thin air, uh, and they are tied to her hex. And, uh, by the way, I didn't give away the ending, which is that uh, Wanda decides – for the betterment of the town to give up her adopted or recreated family. Uh, so that way uh, the, the town in New Jersey is no longer held hostage to her emotional torment. You
0: hit everything there.
1: Good. Also, uh, people thought that Franklin Richards or, uh, or some or Reed Richards or one of the Richards clan would appear on the show for no real reason at all. And lots of people uh, thought that Mephisto, uh, the devil in the Marvel Universe, would factor in somewhere. And uh, that also didn't happen.
0: Uh, one of those people is my co-host of Socially Distanced Podcast. I think Blue Marvel was also a name we kicked around too. Uh, yes. There was a lot of names that we thought. I have... Uh, mutants? That was another one. We thought mutants were going to... Ken Grandpierre thought mutants were going to be in there, and he's still crying. He's crying now in joy that they mentioned it in Ms. Marvel.
1: <laughs> Which we'll get to eventually. Okay, so with that out of the way, uh, let's debut a brand-new segment called Cap Support Group. Now, as we learned, Bill, in Avengers Endgame, Steve Rogers is great at being the uh, support group facilitator when he's not saving the world or rescuing his one true love, Bucky Barnes, from his inner demons. And if there's one thing our lead characters in Phase 4 could use, it is a support group. Uh, That is because, you may have heard, the organizing principle of Phase 4 is processing trauma. And that makes WandaVision the perfect series to start out. So, in this segment, we're going to be talking about who needed to join that support group this week. Uh, and we're gonna start off with our titular characters of Wanda. Her trauma, as far as I can tell, Bill, was that everyone she's ever loved has died violently right in front of her. Do you think that I missed anything or is that kind of the, the crux of it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, just like her whole life is just one big tragedy after the other. Every time she finds a family, they are killed or they just or they are taken from her whether it's her parents her brother vision i mean even her even for five years she was gone uh and then her children her made-up children quote-unquote made up we don't know if they ever come back or factor into anything if this ending of the show mentions anything so every time she has some bit of joy it is it is it is taken away from her in the most tragic and most horrifying of ways. She had to kill her own love twice and watch them die tw- three times and then yeah, it- come back as a really pasty version of himself, he tries to kill her. So, I mean, it's even better.
1: Truly, it's truly she has just suffered, I think, more trauma than anyone in the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe outside of maybe Peter Parker, because, you know, Peter Parker is just a a magnet for personal uh, trauma and grief. But uh, it's really remarkable. And I think that this show at its heart is about her journey through trying to come to terms with the life that she's led. And I think as an arc, uh, for her character, it's remarkably well executed. You really start off, you're you're inside of her head more than you are anywhere else when you're watching those first few episodes, and you don't really have the context for what's happening yet, but it's very clear that something is up and that she is clearly living in some sort of delusion. At first, you might think maybe she is being forced to live like this, but yeah. I think it becomes clear pretty quickly that she is choosing to live like this. And then the question for the remainder of the season is why. And like you said, when you ran through that whole list of things that have happened to her over her life, it's very clear why she would want to run away from reality and create her own. And I think that's something that a lot of people watching television could relate to and maybe why this show became such a phenomenon when it came out first. It really did because it's, it's, Wasn't
0: no correct me if I'm wrong. Originally, wasn't Falcon and Winter Soldier supposed to be the first?
1: Yes, originally Falcon and Winter Soldier was supposed to be coming out in September, October of 2019, and then WandaVision was going to be coming out around the time that it ended up coming out. But because of delays due to the pandemic, there were some like big uh, set pieces that were supposed to be filmed. Uh, out outdoors with like crowds of people and that wasn't possible during uh, COVID uh, production at least early on and so that kind of delayed Falcon and the Winter Soldier to get pushed afterwards and I think everyone agrees at this point that they were very lucky for that because while Falcon and the Winter Soldier we were going to get into in a little while this WandaVision was like an unabashed success huge huge like we don't have formal ratings but huge penetration in the culture if you logged on to the internet during the time it was airing it was just a million articles and videos and podcasts yes. <laughs> all about that show our site included yeah. uh, this like just completely like overdosing on enthusiasm for this show
0: and, and it was and for and for two reasons that really worked because one we were still in the thick of covid we were still inside. So to be presented a Marvel product that was a mystery show and where we can bring in all these theories and we just came in through all these different timelines and we're talking about. I don't think multiverse had been thrown around yet, but we had already introduced this about timelines and and, you know, different outcomes through, you know, through Endgame and Infinity War that we now have the potential of all these new things are going to happen. It's a new phase. Everything's new. And now that WandaVision is so weird and so wild, we had so many things to think about because we were stuck in our home. It also started in January when generally most of us are home. So it's just it was the perfect storm of that. And also, I think it still resonates. I'm probably skipping ahead, but resonates because it's so different. And that's why it worked so well as the first Marvel show, because it was so different.
1: And it showed well, that they were willing to take chances to show us things that we hadn't seen before and to take advantage of this new medium in a way that they couldn't have done with a film. And I think that really excited a lot of people. And, and I you- think all of that is tied into Wanda's arc as this survivor of trauma and how she's choosing to process it through the world of television.
0: Yeah. And I think that was because we were also, you said it much more eloquently, we were choosing to choose television and streaming as our way to process trauma at the same time. So we are going through it at the same time. And the twists and the the risks that they took here were so audacious that we had never seen from a Marvel show before. And they were playing with us in so many ways, like bringing Evan Peters, who is Pietro slash Quicksilver, in the Xbox X-Men universe, and using him and manipulating our expectations and our thoughts to manipulate the thoughts and expectations of Wanda it was a, a stroke of genius, although some people didn't like it, and we will talk about that payoff. I think
1: it was it was definitely a stroke of genius in the moment. It may be like Kevin a Feige's payoff? greatest sin <laughs> but, in retrospect
0: you we were also introduced to not only one of the one of the new tantalizing characters of Marvel, but also one of the great songs of the early, of early 2021 as well
1: yeah, I got one, it all along. Agatha all along, and that we is not mean, only Ex- exactly, yeah, and that was done by the people who you might know did a little song called "Let It Go" from Frozen. Uh, <laughs> Minor hit. Yeah, and that and that t- that songwriting team wrote a little jingle, a little TV jingle for every single episode that was themed towards, uh, you know, the different television eras that we were watching, and I think that was also another fun way in for a lot of people. I have a friend who uh, has open disdain for superhero culture as a whole and refuses to watch anything that has to do with television that has to do with superheroes and comic books but he watched this show because he loves sitcoms and the history of sitcoms and he wanted to see this kind of like every episode is like this notably not a satire of sitcoms not a parody of sitcoms like a very respectful recreation of the tropes of every era of sitcomdom and I think that was an interesting way in for a lot of people and really helped make it be something special and exciting each week
0: yeah it's very easy to make fun of things um but i but the fact that they were so reverential to it down to like to the, the most finite detail when I mean, with set design and makeup and hair and everything it was it was perfect because we all uh, you know i'm 40 you're in your early 30s like we grew up watching a lot of this because this was what was cable television was just reruns of sitcoms so we've seen absolutely all so we're like very familiar with Dick I was very familiar with Dick Van Dyke and 60s sitcoms and stuff like that so it it was it worked so perfectly in that way um, and then you had the jarring notion of when we found out that it was more than that and this was this projection we had this outside world this conspiracy this other mystery that was happening outside of it was and bringing in characters from different parts of Marvel I thought were very cool
1: Yes and that that in and of itself also had a kind of reference kind of quality to it in terms of television history because it had that sort of like you know X-Files this is a weird kind of unknown thing and a team of believers are trying to get to the bottom of it that was less of a direct uh kind of homage than the other sitcom stuff but I think like the the heart of it is there too so yeah. you really it and and I think it's important that it was a loving recreation of these things because we are It's all happening because Wanda is devoted to this art form as a way to process her own grief. And like, it's a world that she loves that she is falling into. So if they leaned into it as a kind of satirical parody, it would really undercut The whole reason why it's happening in the first place, which is that she loves these things. So she wouldn't make it be a parody of the Brady Bunch because she clearly likes the Brady Bunch and has a lot of fondness for it. So the world she's creating, like, it wouldn't make sense in that context. So I think that they do a good job of that as well.
0: They also do a great job when they have these little commercials in every episode. um, That are increasingly horrifying. (laughs) That just completely – that instead of, like, we were saying the satire would ruin everything – Reinforces this air of something isn't right because a lot of it was Hydra based, or there was some sort of sinister undertones or overtones in one of the mm-hmm. final commercials.
1: Like I think, yeah, like
0: the '90s one is really the rough. <laughs> Boy can't eat the pudding or whatever they gave. Yeah, him.
1: it's kind of it's like a high sea kind of deal, but it's he, he just <laughs> dies <laughs> on that an an island. island.
0: And, and it's it's wonderful like how they do that, and there are also these breaks within the show where they start referencing the show. Mm -hmm. That's become more and more and more that that this horror element to it, there was a horror here that there was there was horror in the trauma that it was that something was really wrong here and there's something really bad going on here. And we would think that it's a lot. like You're saying there were sinister forces at play forcing her to do this. But it turns out that it was Wanda's own grief that she was projecting onto everyone, taking everyone hostage and literally almost choking, the, choking them to death, and separating from their families, and causing this crazy trauma in their lives because she was yeah. trying to
1: process. And we do get to have a little bit of insight into that that grief that she's struggling with, and it is suffocating, by her own words as well. There's that the kind of flashback episode. That previously on episode of WandaVision where uh, Agatha kind of takes Wanda through a, a terrible tour of all of her traumas. Uh, and you get that scene between her and Vision uh, in between Avengers Age of Ultron and Civil War where they're living at the Avengers compound and she's really grieving the loss of her, her the only family that she had left, which was her twin brother. Uh, and she talks about how the grief feels so overwhelming that it feels like a wave that is just gonna come and crush her one day. And we get this beautiful moment where Vision, you know, shares this idea of that grief. He says like, what is grief but love persisting? And that's a a line that I think a lot of people, it really resonated. And it's a really kind of beautiful sentiment about the fact that this pain that we feel when we lose people that we care about is a reminder that they meant something to us at all which is in and of itself a gift that we should be grateful for and you know that is the sort of thing that you wouldn't really expect a comic book tv show to be tapping into so directly but it is the sort of thing that you would expect the shows and movies coming out of avengers endgame would have to deal with because the world as it existed Uh, was truly and utterly traumatized by the events. And I really, I think a lot of comic book properties get a lot of flack for trying to up the ante by making the stakes, like, world-ending every time and having these super ridiculous, over-the-top plots happening. And it feels empty because you never really live with the impact of that. And I think it's pretty brave of Kevin Feige and his team to make the concerted effort that, no, this really horrible, unfathomable thing, half of all life on the planet, vanished with the snap of a finger uh, for five years. We're going to make that mean something. And not just in one movie, but in literally an entire phase of movies trying to dig out from underneath the emotional trauma of that. And I think it came at the perfect time for our world, which was really experiencing a lot of difficult emotions. And it was, I don't know, I think some people f- feel frustrated by this. Some people are like, I want entertainment to escape uh, the world. And I totally empathize with that. What I would say is a lot, there's a lot of that out there. And there's not a lot of entertainment like this. And I think that we sh- we can have both. Uh, but I think that for a lot of people who use this sort of culture as a way to process their feelings, uh, it's really meaningful to have this exercise at like the biggest possible level. And I think it's really validating for people who struggle with emotions, the idea that like, culture at this level can talk about this stuff and be honest about it. And and not pay, make and i think the hope is that maybe it makes people feel less alone it makes people feel seen it makes this it it helps with the stigma that oftentimes goes yeah. along with the trauma and the grief that people are struggling with on a day-to-day basis and i think that's kind of admirable
0: there's a lot to be said about catharsis through art like you said like people can feel that they can be seen and that they 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 can get it out even if it's a huge cry at the end of something like this like The ending of this series, especially for Wanda, where she deconstructs allows everything to fall apart, and she makes the sacrifice, and she literally deconstructs her dream in order to bring everyone to reality. Which, by the way, the people of Westview have gone through the snap, and then as soon as the snap was over, like this happens. It's only like three weeks later. (laughs) (laughs) They deserve they deserve a lifetime of therapy because my god. The one the one line that kills me is where she she's being one of the townspeople begs Wanda. She's like, I just want to see my daughter in her room. Can you let her out? You know, and
1: it's. Yeah, it's that's the character of Dottie played by Emma Caulfield Ford. And she basically and she pleads with her and says, please, can't you just make her be one of your kids, one of your boy's friends? Can't you give her a part in the show so that way I can see her? And so she's not locked in her room anymore. And you're just like, oh, my God, this is really
0: messed up. It allows you to see it because I feel like a lesser property or a lesser film would have just glossed over this or made Agatha the villain. And she's the one who did this just in order to capture in order to gain Wanda's power. She did this like that would be an easy write out and still probably would have been very entertaining. But. It's way more impactful when you see there's consequence at the end. Or there's consequences for Wanda, the, our heroes, our protagonists' actions. And I think to be able to see that, that sometimes we do, as people, when we're in the city, we, we will hurt others. We don't even know it, that we're hurting others because we're lashing out. And because we're, we're so upset, and we're blinded by our own sorrow and our own trauma, our own depression. We don't realize that we're actually hurting other people. And I think that's something that we don't often think about. And it's not often done in a way that isn't overly heavy handed or so subtle you don't get. Like this was I get it. It's a comic book, you know, you know, superhero property. But sometimes you need that told in a very in a a way that's very mainstream and and palpable for everyone to fully understand. And I don't think they ever dumb it down one iota but I think that it's something that's very, very powerful message for people to understand is the consequences of grief and how we treat other people as well.
1: Yeah. And they really don't let her off the hook. Like you said, like the, the, it's very fun. The song it's at, it was at the Agatha all along. Right. But the point of that song, and I think some people miss it is that like, it isn't literally her all along. She's there stirring the pot kind of prodding her, prodding Wanda, trying to get reaction just to figure out what the hell is happening, right, and to see if she can understand it and then harness it for her own purposes. But it's Wanda who's doing it all and it's Wanda who's making all of these choices and she's doing it for her own reasons and she's not at all being manipulated into doing that. She's kind of, like, what what Agatha is up to is basically kind of, like, pushing her to see what the extent of her power is. But she never, like, tries to make her do anything to the people of Westview. You know, she never tries to well, she does do something to try to make the sphere <laughs> expand to see what would happen. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I think that ultimately it really is is Wanda uh, from start to finish. And I think that that is brave. And I think, you know, it, not to tease, but it is something that will stick with her character for a long time to come. So which we'll be excited to see in future things. Uh, But that's kind of the end of our conversation about Wanda and her trauma. She obviously gets the cra- the, the trauma crown uh, for this episode. Uh, she does. <laughs> she literally does. But there are a couple of honorable mentions uh, who also maybe they don't have to come to the to the group every week, but they should show up at least once a month. Uh, that would include Vision, whose trauma, as far as I could tell, is uh, that he should be dead and instead is trapped in a facsimile of reality, uh, and at some point actually has to fight. Literally his own corpse. Uh, that seems pretty traumatic. Uh, do you have any yes. thoughts about that arc, briefly? Well, so I, 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 you know, upon I know
0: we're gonna do a reflection in a minute, but I believe the uh, upon second viewing, the the library scene between Vision and Vision is <laughs> a lot. Um, you know, in the heat of that moment, the first time you're watching, you're like, this is a lot of just like Matrix Two you know the architect talk right now that uh is is not why i loved it It frustrated the pants off of me the first time i saw it don't get me started on the matrix three i'll throw something uh but um upon second viewing it makes more sense of them them both coming to a conclusion of who they are and we leave it on an ellipses essentially because it's just like we don't know where vision is going to matter At all in these next couple phases, we have no idea, and we're good. This is that's a common thread amongst supporting characters, I think, in these four. In my opinion, in these four shows, we have no idea where a lot of these characters, outside of Loki's series, are going to end up. Like, yeah, what are we? I mean, I am concerned about Alligator Loki, but that's a whole other story. We'll get into that in a little while. (laughs) I have a whole whole monologue. I don't, but it's. (laughs) But I think with Vision, it's just like that is just. His whole thing is, who is he? And I think that vision within the Wanda vision, ah, sorry, I couldn't think of anything better, is, comes to terms with who he is and his mortality, his, his time on Earth and who he is and what his relationship with Wanda is. I feel like he understands a lot of that. But everything comes to a head when he sees the his his reanimated corpse. The reanimated corpse, that guy's got a whole – man, he's got a lot of therapy. He need, he no, he needs to be there every week because he has to figure out who he is. Also, can we work on the color
1: palette? I know it's no homage to the comics, but it's yeah. – Also, I, we. I mean like I feel like everyone's been calling him White Vision and I feel like we need to workshop I, that I, name a little bit. <laughs> I'm just calling him
0: Me Vision because I'm the palest person I know. So it's just like – Vision 2 has to we have to get a little bit of a color palette changer, but it's like we have to not just that character. We also have to figure out who is this character because he is remembering the stuff from Vision past, but he's not Vision's past, the pet vision. Yeah. past. So we have to I think there's a whole bunch of story and learning that everyone has to do on that one.
1: There's certainly more to come there, and we might talk about that a little bit later in one of our other segments. Uh, But until then, I just want to also mention briefly, I didn't talk about Elizabeth Olsen in our conversation about Wanda, and that is to my great shame because I think she's giving a fantastic, utterly uh, transcendent performance, the way that she's able to kind of, like, flow through all the different eras of sitcomdom and maintain her character while paying homage to these classic Uh, heroines of sitcom past in a way that is easily identifiable is really remarkable. Uh, I think that Katherine Hahn also is a tremendous actor in that regard, too. But So good. I was also really shocked by Paul Bettany's performances here because I just didn't know he had this in him. I mean, I've seen him in a lot of things and I've liked him in a lot of things. But the idea that he had the comic chops to be like the uh, the the Malcolm in the Middle dad in one of these episodes was a surprise. I didn't know he had that in him. I also think like the slow dawning realization that something is truly wrong in their worlds is really, uh, he plays it fantastically. The yeah. fight that they have in the 80s episode Ooh. where the end credits start rolling and then they <laughs> he, he makes them stop. It's like, and it's just like this sheer like horror at what his existence is, is really phenomenal. I love that scene. So, I think that when we talk about visions trauma, the vision of Wanda vision, Wanda's vision, if you will, uh is kind of that angst of this person that I love is hurting everyone around them and seems like they're hurting themselves and there's nothing I can do about it and also I seem to be trapped in <laughs> in their pain with them uh and I think that he does he plays that really really well and it's really uh effective another person's trauma who is effective is Monica Monica Rambeau uh mm. who we last saw in Captain Marvel as a little girl uh now full-grown adult uh her trauma is that she snapped out of existence for five years and woke up to find that her mom uh, had died while she was gone Uh, Also, she's been apparently fully abandoned by her beloved Aunt Carol, who said that she would be back in no time about a couple of decades ago. So she's got a lot of stuff going on. And I think she really emerges in this show as the true hero of this show and really on par with some of the best heroic characters that the MCU has. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way that she's able to tap into her emotional reality as a as a form of strength, which is not the sort of thing that we often see in these sort of heroic tales. And I think really admirable, especially coming from a superhero who is a woman, and a lot of the times super heroic women in media have to be presented as these like super duper badasses just to justify their existence. And I like that that is not her character. Uh, her character is far more relatable and accessible and, I think, uh, remarkable in the way that it's presented. The,
0: the the wild thing about Monica is that she comes back from the snap, immediately, almost immediately goes to work, gets sent into this, like, what they believe is this, like, cakewalk of an assignment, ends up in this wild world and yet is still able to, like, be the quarterback of this investigation of what's really going on and she runs headfirst into things and yet and is also able to um process her own trauma and relate to wanda that's a that's so wild and it's done in such a way that you never question it you never question it never feels forced it never feels unearned it feels like she you believe that she's processed this. You believe that she understands Wanda. And Put in Wanda's Shoes may have done the same thing, but is actually now has learned through Wanda and through her own experience of what – how you're supposed – what you have to do to make things right. And that's that's – that is such a hard thing to write because everything I just described poorly is like should be probably written poorly. And it would not make sense. But she does it in a way that's so convincing. And we get the reveal. Oh, by the way, we get the reveal of her as, as a superhero who can have bullets fly through her. I did have, I do have one problem with all that though, that the that she did not get the payoff of taking out um, the head of sword, who we called on socially distance, uh, Admiral douchebag, because uh, we could <laughs> never remember his name, <laughs> so. We're yeah. just
1: like, well, Admiral but of course, what? his name is Tyler. I mean, no disrespect to fans who might be called his name or, Tyler or Tyler McCarthy, you
0: know, our who pop. we love,
1: right. and Great he guy. is. But that is a perfect name for an obnoxious person. Yeah, and also, I, I don't think a guy that old,
0: many people's names were Tyler. I feel like there was a Brad in there or something like that. But that's just me. Um, but it, Tyler Hayward, Dev said, yeah, the, she should have been the one to be able to to take him out, not like let's have the ice cream truck with darcy driving and take it out and the the banana and the cream pie face you know the cream pie in the, in the face moment like huh. that moment still on the rewatch i was like i fucking hate that like i really hate that like it was just like that was monica's moment and i'm sure because of logistics and production that it mm-hmm. didn't happen but that doesn't mean i have to like it <laughs> like it's i
1: agree and I say we use that as our transition to our Memorial Hindsight Corner where we reflect on our experience rewatching this installment of the MCU for the podcast. So, um, I will respond to that by saying I agree that segment sucks. I think that the the finale, we know, was kind of hampered by reshoots due to COVID, pandemic. They were planning on kind of filming this whole sequence, in vol- or I believe they did film it, uh, with, with, um, with Monica and the kids uh, fighting a giant evil bunny uh, who had been teased throughout the episodes, um, trying to get the, the magic book. That we later come to learn is the cold, which uh, which Catherine Han's character Agnes Agatha has been in possession of um all of that ends up on the cutting room form basically because they just didn't have enough time to render it because they thought they were gonna have months and instead they had weeks uh so instead they reshot this sequence and uh, Darcy, our, our beloved cat Dennings, was not available for the reshoots, so they just kind of put her in a truck uh, on the other side of the world and filmed her and basically just like CG'd her into the truck, and that's why uh, they needed her to do something, so they put her in a truck uh, and then had that truck uh, <laughs> run into uh, Tyler Hayward's body and that's why his ending sucks and why she's otherwise missing from that episode entirely Uh, so that sucks all of that sucks I think that some of the stuff in the finale with Wanda and uh, Agnes and Agnes slash Agatha works really well some of it works not as well I I think that the vision versus vision in the library scene is the best part of that whole uh, action sequence uh, so I'm really glad they were able to maintain that. Uh, as we said, uh, you didn't like that as much, but I did uh, in the first place, and it works just as well. Uh, some of the other things that don't work so well for me in rewatch is the oh. the Pedro thing. I, the, I get, like, it's just kind of like he's Ralph Boner because that sounds like <laughs> a funny sitcom side character name, and it does. I think that, like, if you're going to introduce... Evan Peters as a fake Pietro like it has to mean something more than just that or else it's just kind of mean to the fans but I would say that outside of that all of the other stuff that was swirling around this show around was sucked into the hype culture that really ruined it for a lot of people all that stuff is absent when you rewatch it and you're just watching the episodes. And I think that a lot of the stuff works much better. A lot of the mystery box stuff works better when you're just kind of like plowing through the episodes, a couple of episodes a night. What do you think about that bill?
0: Um, Yeah. All the stuff where we're theorizing which character would show up where um, none of that matters. Like I was so pissed. I'm like, you built up the astrophysicist for weeks. and now it's this,
1: But when you watch it in a binge, I'm like, they barely mention them. Exactly. It's like literally like one line of dialogue, but everybody lost their minds about it. Someone on this podcast told me that.
0: Um, At the time. (laughs) So there was stuff that didn't really matter. Um, You know what I got on this rewatch? And of all the series, I watched this from start to finish because this was like, I hadn't watched this in the longest time. So since it first aired is it's a much scarier show for me the second time around, cause you know what's coming and everything is, has a layer, there's this sinister layer and this air of horror around everything because you know these people are being controlled that are in the episode, the, the the cries for help aren't as, they're not as jarring as they were because when you watch it in the first time, you're like, oh my God, what's happening? It's just like, oh my God, this is so scary because you can only imagine these people being held hostage. So it's much more frightening. And I am a little bit nice. I am a little kinder now on the finale than I was the first time I watched it uh, because I'm like, OK, there's a lot of stuff that works here. There was something yeah. that frustrated me outside of the Darcy stuff, but it, it was lessened this time. And also the Agatha episode, the, the song and her whole scene with the coven is mm-hmm. so much better when you know what's happening. You're like, oh, this yeah. is awesome, cool. Because <laughs> this, this Catherine Hahn just like showing off? and not uh-huh. in a way she's just like watch me have fun and it only makes me more excited and i'll talk about that in the next segment for future things to come for her
1: yeah i would agree and i would also say for me My experience wasn't that it was scarier the second time around. My experience was that it was sadder. It made me so sad watching it, knowing what was really going on and what we were seeing. It just is so heartbreaking for everyone involved, but especially Wanda. And, you know, the fact that she doesn't really ever beat those demons by the end of the series she kind of just she agrees to let the town go and then she runs off with her magic book and uh you see her not looking that great i would say in the end credit scene and uh it just is like it's just so sad to to know just what she had what she lost and what she the self-harm that she that she does to herself by creating this fantasy that can't last and falling in love with it it's just very very upsetting and i and i also will say I feel like the kind of mystery of like how important is Wanda in the center of all of this, like how much is she in control? I think that rewatching it, obviously I know it going in, what's going on now, but I feel like the show really plays fair with the audience. It never really tries to misdirect you. It kind of just slowly lets its story play out. And I think a show that is built on a mystery box or a movie built on a mystery box a lot of the times when you finish it and you want to rewatch it like the pieces don't totally fit together or there are like wild digressions where you're like okay well that was really just to throw us off the track for a little while there's none of that here they really do play fair with us outside of the ralph boner thing which isn't a misdirect it just got us excited for something that was never going to (laughs) happen
0: i still didn't think of it i wasn't as sold i don't think as everyone else was that this could be actually quicksilver uh slash pietro. It's like it was a nice night. No, I liked it. And the Pietro the Pietro stuff is like it's not as I don't think is as important when you watch it the second time around. It's a fun thing. Nice. You know, so it's especially and I still I still will say my favorite episode is the Halloween special. I still love that the most. Because it's I, it's fun, but it's also the scene where they have the people repeating themselves over and over their movements because they're stuck in a loop and the woman's crying it's it's even more heartbreaking around. it's so yeah, really, just like
1: oh god that's rough yeah i think my favorite episode is the 80s episode because of the way that it ends it ends so strong and but the opening credits of that uh, that episode too the opening 80s opening credits going, <laughs> with the baby vision
0: <laughs> they're just drawing them at the they're like a, a live drawing of them at the yeah. end and it's like one plus one equals love or some shit like that. it's just wonderful It's just like the one plus
1: two equals family, I think, is what it says or something like that. Either either line is (laughs) awful, but plays for an 80s. It's perfect. Okay, so uh, with that out of the way, we're going to talk about our final segment, which is, as it always is, to infinity and beyond, where we discuss the interconnected elements that may tease what's to come. Bill, you've slowly sort of like subtly referenced a couple of things, but you want to kind of like boil it down for us?
0: I'm very excited to see where we go with uh, the first one is Agatha Harkness and the Coven of Chaos, which is a show which was originally called House of Harkness. I love Car- uh, we talked about it in our last episode. I love Coven of Chaos a lot better. Much better name. Uh, uh, I don't know how it, or if she's going to play into the larger MCU. How this all plays in, I hope she does because Katherine Hahn's great. Uh, I-
1: I think they know that they have such a huge asset on their hands that they're just they're not gonna be able to avoid putting yes. her in more things. So
0: to have her in there is very cool. I'm very stoked for that. But again, what the big that when we of course we have, you know, Monica's gonna be in the Marvels.
1: Um mm-hmm. uh, and person, we get that kind of teased in the finale. There's that a, sort of Vulcan there's. Small. We have we have multiple end credit scenes in the finale. One of them is Monica meeting up with a FBI agent who turns out to be a scroll who says uh, your friend from upstairs uh, needs to talk to you. And it's like, are we talking about uh, Carol? Are we talking about Fury, who we know from Far From Home is also in space right now? Uh, who's to say we'll find out in uh, next summer when the Marvels comes out because she will be appearing in that.
0: My one concern about that is we Monica has been off screen for so long that are people gonna like? Do we have to have like the whole a whole reminder scene when the Marvels who she is? Or I'm hoping pops up.
1: I'm sure that we'll get a Marvel Legends episode all about Monica Rambeau for the people who may not remember what she was up to last. So I think we'll be covered with that. Uh, Uh, Otherwise, that's and then we don't know what's happening with Vision we don't he just literally flies off and uh, no one knows what happens to him after that uh, of course the vision that we follow for most of the episode or for most of the series uh, goes away dematerializes into nothing uh, as he had started as we all start and will eventually end up uh, but the new vision that's what I prefer to call him I like to think of him as new vision but like NU like new metal like that's my that's my chosen nickname for him uh, he just flies off and we don't really know there's a lot of projects on the horizon that he could be a part of a lot of people thought maybe like uh armor wars but that uh, <laughs> might not ever come out so maybe not there you know he could pop up in the new captain america movie because the uh, rumor is that's going to be kind of like a civil war level uh ensemble film uh so that could be a factor uh, he could also maybe appear in uh secret invasion for all we know so we'll we'll see uh, but he's definitely on the board he's going to be somewhere
0: uh, and then alex uh You've seen uh, what about the kids? like that we've teased that. Could we expect them? So to-
1: the very, very, very end, it features Wanda, astral projecting while inside a very cool cabin. Uh, and she is astral projecting, learning from the dark hold. and you hear little uh, Billy and Tommy call out for her through that book and, That may or may not be a factor in next month's episode, when we talk about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which features Wanda Maximoff pretty prominently. And that's all I'll say about that. Right along, Mm -hmm. it's time to discuss The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, released between March and April of 2021. This series was created uh, by writer Malcolm Spellman and directed by Carrie Scoglin. Also, it stars Anthony Mackie as Sam the Falcon Wilson and Sebastian Stan as James Buchanan Bucky Barnes, aka The Winter Soldier. We're going to start off again, as we always do, by cracking open Fury's Notebook to see our new recruits for this series. They include Wyatt Russell, that's Kurt Russell's dad. Uh, My favorite thing about Wyatt Russell being in Falcon and Winter Soldier is that one of the YouTubers that uh, tried to claim that Wyatt Russell uh, being the son of Kurt Russell was an Easter egg for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. (laughs) Which is really, I just just need to, I I would be remiss if I didn't bring that up at some point during this discussion. (laughs) It hurts, that hurts.
0: It really <laughs> does. I mean, if Wyatt Russell played young Kurt Russell in Guardians 2, yeah, sure, but well, <laughs> stop it. Nope. That's like Goldie Hawn being one of them. Like you know, that's a Guardians thing, and it's like
1: just, oh, yeah, just like it's not an Easter egg that he's his son. <laughs> that's oh, just happening. his dad. <laughs> But anyway, uh, he played uh, John, U.S. Agent Walker, uh, who we will definitely be talking about. Uh, We also have Danny Ramirez playing Joaquin Torres, who in the comic books is uh, kind of Sam Wilson's sidekick, Sam Wilson's Falcon when he becomes Captain America. Uh, And he kind of plays that role here, only in the corners. Uh, I hope that he gets to return for future installments. Uh, We also have Carl Lumley, the great, Carl Lumley as Isaiah Bradley aka uh, well we'll get into it uh, we also have Erin uh, Kellerman uh, who plays Carly Morgenthau who is in the comic books uh, Carl Morgenthau was the Flag Smasher here Carly Morgenthau plays the leader of the Flag Smashers uh, she leads a group of people who include Desmond uh, Chiam, uh, play who plays uh, Dobich that was his name I don't know if you remember that but that is his name. Also, Deborah Aduwe uh, plays uh, Sam's lovely sister, Gigi. I didn't remember that was what her name was, but okay. Uh, also, we have uh, Claya Bennett, who plays uh, Lamar Battlestar Hoskins, who is kind of uh, John Walker's best friend and his. Uh, black sidekick, because I guess every Captain America needs one. Uh, also, we have Elijah Richardson, who is playing Eli Bradley, who is a small role here, but might appear later. We'll talk about it. And speaking of small roles that might matter later, Julie Louis Dreyfus as uh, Countess Valentina Allegra Defontaine. Uh, what a name. We'll get into it. So. Now, Bill, it's my time to shine. Uh, we're going to do another 90-second uh, plot synopsis from Lee's Story Corner. Uh, and this show is very convoluted, so let's see how much I can say.
0: In three, two, one, go.
1: Okay, so this show starts out with Sam and Bucky living separate lives, ignoring each other's text messages because they're sad about their uh, best friend Steve no longer being there. But they're too manly to talk about it. Uh, unfortunately, they end up uh, reuniting when Sam uh, accidentally lets the U.S. government give the Captain America shield over to a giant douchebag played by Wyatt Russell named John Walker, uh, they kind of, uh, accidentally seem to, f- uh, go on a mission where they stumble across the Flag Smashers, uh, they try to handle it through talking, but, uh, John Walker decides that he only wants to fight and punch people because he can't handle the pressure of being the next Steve Rogers, and that causes a lot of bad stuff to happen, uh, including, uh, the, our guys, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, having to break, uh, Zemo out of jail, uh, because they need him because he is an expert on Super Soldiers, because it turns out the Flag Smashers are super soldier somehow and how is that happening we have to go to that cool place in asia to find out where we run into sharon carter aka the power broker who is the power broker it's sharon carter uh it turns out and then we uh it turns out she's like this evil mob person i guess i don't know because she's mad because uh nobody cared about her after she broke the law for sam and and uh and steve in civil war and so Uh, Then uh, a bunch of stuff happens. Also, Sam has to uh, try to save his family's boat in the middle for some reason. And uh, then uh, there's a big fight in New York City and uh, Carly gets killed. And uh, Um, (laughs) And and, and Sam becomes Captain America.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We forgot the whole Isaiah Bradley storyline. Um, the Dora Milaje show up, um, <laughs> because they're after Zemo. Um, yeah, the, the, the whole, uh, there's, there. there and, oh, and then Bucky has to go on his whole redemption tour where he has to, like, talk about where he's, he He's
1: sorry to that one guy. <laughs> the one guy
0: who's still alive uh, about his kid who he brutally murdered because he's a callous bastard. Um, yeah, uh, oh, Batroc's in it, <laughs> um, <laughs> This show
1: has too much stuff going on. I think I did a pretty good job of boiling down the main plot of the show. Wouldn't you agree? Sam really just wanted to talk shit out. Did would you Ow. agree that I did a good job of boiling down the main plot at least? I watched the finale. I rewatched the finale, and by rewatching the finale,
0: I was like, there were so many storylines that happened <laughs> in this show. Like okay. it's it, it's so bonkers. You could have cut of- three of them
1: a lot of the marvel stuff it felt it, like you could feel it where like it could have been a movie but they but they blew it up a little bit and maybe it wasn't well paced as a result this really should have been like a 13 episode tv show to handle all of the things that they wanted to handle uh because there's just was way too many balls in the air uh and we will the, the six episode isn't enough this this is
0: should be the prime example of that not just miss marvel like this is the number one example
1: yes and something interesting that we learned from miss marvel's kind of post airing uh creative uh interviews that went around was that when Miss Marvel was actually written at the same time that WandaVision and Falcon and the Whole Slate of the start of the shows were and they they thought that they were going to be getting 60 uh minute episodes 6 60 minute episodes and due to I think a lot of the budgetary restraints that covid forced upon everyone uh they ended up having to cut those episodes down to like mostly around like the kind of like 42 45 minute mark sometimes they go to 51 minutes None of them come close to actual six hours. And the Miss Marvel people talked about having to cut a lot of stuff that they planned on doing as a result. And I wonder if that's what happened here. But they had to cut back at a time that they couldn't cut whole storylines because they were too far along. And so they just tried to give us the bones of everything and hope it would make sense. But it didn't. (laughs) It was too much. (laughs) I, I really
0: I like this show. I do like this show. And I, I really remember the first time watching the finale, I was really impressed with it. But going back and re-going through everything, you're like, man, there is it's just a lot. Like, like the Zemo stuff could have been a whole season. <laughs> like, they could have done a whole—God, they need to do more with him. Um, And I was so happy they redeemed him in so many ways, as you could go back to my— Although,
1: <laughs> <things>. <laughs> Although not in all of the ways. <laughs> He's not fully redeemed by the end of Oh,
0: I mean— in some ways he is he gave the great a great meme and he gave us or gif i should say give us a great gif but i mean like yeah there's just way too much happening in this show but i think they stuck the landing of what they wanted to and that is
1: giving us a new captain america yeah, like okay maybe <laughs> oh i think like, they got us there we're there right <laughs> sort of. i think they also wanted to like really use this show as a way to like explain the geopolitical system post-snap, and I don't know if they really nailed that. Uh, I don't know if they really established Sam and Bucky as the fun-loving duo that they wanted it to be. Um, kind of fun thing about this is that, like, basically a big reason why this show exists is because Anthony Mackey and Sebastian Stan had to give a lot of interviews together during Civil War, And Endgame, and they were very fun and entertaining as a duo on the press circuit, as themselves, just, like, messing around. And people said, oh, well, they have amazing chemistry together. We got to kind of maximize that and, like, give them their own TV show. And uh, it turns out, I don't know, Bill, what do you think? Do you think that they really works as the comedic duo that they were expecting? Because they were really kind of selling this as, like, it's going to be our buddy cop movie, but as a TV show. They never wrote it as that. They wrote it as wait.
0: They it like the trailer came off as like it's forty eight hours. It's it's a buddy cop it's a lethal weapon,
1: it's a buddy cop film. And it was never that. It no, was they do have some scenes See? of them bickering, and I think it always to me felt very forced. Like the whole kind of like yeah. therapy session together where they have to like inch up to each other's knees and stuff. <laughs> it's just like, what are we doing, guys? <laughs> there there
0: is they never
1: wrote it to be funny.
0: They i never, think they, they tried to write it to be funny sometimes well, someone doesn't know <laughs> how to write funny then because that was not funny they like you could tell they do have a natural chemistry like towards the end like you could tell these guys get along and they can work together like as actors and as as characters but they never maximized that i always felt like again there was way too much going on to allow that to ever really develop because you had so many other places you had to jump to and explain. And it was too complicated. The Flag Smasher stuff is so complicated. And Sam's response to it is just like, we need to talk. And I never buy that Carly wants to talk. But they're like, well, no, no, she'll she'll talk with Sam. I'm like, I, why? Why does she want to talk to Sam? Because he gets it. What? Are we, I don't buy that he gets it. Like, none of it. Like, to me, I'm just like, the power broker had it right. She's like, you're, you're a bad guy. I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, that made more sense than he's just like, Carly, I'm not going to fight you. We need to talk. Why? Why do you, what are you going to, you're not going to get through to her, dude. Like,
1: well, cause I think that the idea there is that they, like, she, she has a point. Like, her yeah. mission has a lot of validity to it. It's just her means and her method are not necessarily sound, right? Like, blowing up, Buildings and killing people, not the best, right? Uh, creating right. super soldiers, not always a great idea. Uh, but you know, she is uh, a refugee whose life was really enhanced due to the to the snap. One of the one of the people who kind of benefited from the Thanos idea of like if there are fewer people, then our resources will go further. Uh, and then she sees now the gains that she was that she had earned, right, that had been given are going to be taken away by people who really don't care about her at all. And so she feels like she has to fight back. And I think that that is something that a lot of people could really relate to and has a lot of potency to it. And I think that where they struggled with making that case is just not giving her enough time to be developed as an actual character.
0: Yeah. but and So I understood her motivation. It's just like, you're right, they never develop her. But then it's just like, Sam's going to get through to her. And it's just like, you didn't. That you jump to that, and he, you're trying to make him Steve Rogers and, like, have him talk things out. It just didn't work, and I never Although bought— Although Steve
1: it. Rogers never actually talks things out. That's not really—like, Steve Rogers is That's good just, at inspiring his comrades to take up arms, but he actually isn't the, the hero who will, like, make a speech and solve problems that way. And I think that was something that they were trying to use as a way to differentiate— Sam with Steve like Sam isn't gonna go in swinging I could do this all day you're a bad guy I'm gonna take you out like he really did want to kind of use his you know speaking of you know uh grief counselors he was a counselor of sport group when we meet him in uh the winter soldier so I think that the idea there is like let's let's take something that's special and specific to Sam and let's make that mean something for his version of a Captain America could be. But again, in order to do that, you really need to be able to develop both sides of that. And they just, you can't connect to a person that you didn't bother developing into an actual person. And that's the downfall of that idea.
0: And they also needed to remind us and hammer home. I think there's a much more interesting story because I kind of forgot about him being a grief counselor and he needed to we need to explore more of that with him and the struggle he has of knowing the steps to get through it but he can't it's hard to apply it to yourself again an eight to ten episode series i think really could have done wonders for this
1: yes and so we're jumping the gun a little bit because their next segment right now (laughs) is the support group section of our uh section where we or our section of our episode where we talk about Uh, who had uh, the most trauma of our group of new interjections. I think that uh, this one, unlike WandaVision, where Wanda was the clear winner, in terms of our leads, it's really kind of up in the air between Sam, whose uh, trauma is that his best friend is dead, question mark, and also he missed five years of his life and his family boat is going to be sold uh, and he can't get alone to save it. Uh, also, he doesn't want to be Captain America because America is kind of racist. But now a borderline monster, as Captain America said, that kind of sucks for Sam. Meanwhile, Bucky, his trauma is that his best friend is kind of sort of dead. And also, he was brainwashed for the better part of a century and remembers all of the kills that he was powerless to stop. Also, he's the world's youngest 90 year old, and that's going to present a lot of problems. Meanwhile, Carly, as we said, uh, is a refugee who is about to lose all of the things that she had uh, in her life due to uh, unfeeling global capitalists and her unofficially adopted grandmother recently died uh, for reasons that we don't really uh, have time to think about. Also, our last entry of like our main group would be John Walker, who yep. uh, was forced into the public role that he couldn't handle, and then his friend was killed in front of him because of it, and then he decapitated somebody with uh, Steve Rogers' <laughs> shield in front of uh, the world. But I think that we can all agree that all those people have some case to be made, but the person who definitely had the most trauma is our special guest star, Isaiah Bradley played by Carl Lumbly. Uh, his story is that he was illegally experimented on by his own government while serving in the armed forces, given superpowers, then imprisoned for decades for using those powers to save his friends who ended up dying anyway from those same experiments until a nice nurse took pity on him and faked his own death just so he could escape. Uh, I think that's pretty clearly the worst thing that happens to anybody on this show. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That
0: story was not one I knew in the Marvel universe. And it's the one I think of the four shows, I think is the storyline. I think that sticks with me the most because Carl Lumley, he just gives this amazing performance of he's so sad and he's so angry, but he also physically, he's a big man. And so he comes off as he, he comes off as this still very physical, very powerful man that you could see what Steve, like Steve Rogers became, except, you know, Steve Rogers, looked like Joe Biden. And it was, it was, it was, it's just his story that he tells is so heartbreaking. And yet at the end where he gets the statue dedicated to him, rewatching that. I legit cried at that because he did because he's such a tough guy because he couldn't even he still busted Sam's balls even when he was, you know, he's like, oh, I guess you're black Captain America now. And he just keeps busting on him just to be like, you know, you know, you did good, but I'm not going to give you, you know, that fatherly. I'm not going to give you the full acceptance jokingly. And then when he sees that and he fully breaks down and cries, I think is I think that one of the best scenes in the Marvel shows, I think it's because we're talking about Captain America and when we think of Captain America, we think of the glory and the purity and the virtue. He's the ultimate good guy, right? Even when he makes mistakes, he's still the American ideal. And underneath Captain America we now have Isaiah Bradley, we have John Walker, and you know you have Sam and two of those three stories are just end terribly. You know, they tried to create more super soldiers and America, in the name of Captain America's ideal, tortures this man and just does terrible things to him and robs him of his life. They sort of do that with John Walker. They put him there and they rob him of his career. He he was a great soldier. He was a great American and they corrupted him because he couldn't be in that untenable situation. And now with Sam, he didn't want to be Captain America because America... He doesn't think, and we see this both in the show and in kind of in life, too. People are like a black Captain America and they are against it. And that's the sad tragedy
1: of the history of the lineage of what's underneath the tree of Captain America. And that's I think, is crazy. I think that that's all very well said. If I have one complaint about this series and its treatment of the Isaiah Bradley character is that it's not more prominent i feel like you really get that one episode where it really packs a punch and i will say i mean i'm a broken record on this across all podcasts that i appear on but a really good testament for why we don't always need to use flashbacks to tell a story right this show uses a flashback to tell a traumatic story and it and it's for one character and it chooses not to use a flashback to tell a traumatic story about another character the, tra- the traumatic flashback that we get is bucky's traumatic flashback about the time that he was the winter soldier and killed a guy and I don't think that really has much of an impact on us at all. And we don't get a flashback with Isaiah Bradley. We just trust the performer, Carl Lumbly, to sell the story as he tells it. And it's so much more impactful than if we were to see this sort of like montage version of this story in a flashback. That would be really hard to get through. But I think it's more impactful that it's him telling us the story, because not only are we getting the details, but we're getting it through his recollection. So all of the emotional relationship that he has with the material is there on his face at the same time, right? Like it's we're getting the details, but we're also getting all of the context through this fantastic performance. And I think that if you trust actors to convey information and emotion, uh, they will and you should do that more often
0: it's a, it's a sorrowful rage in which he tells that story and that's what makes it it's the rage he has but he's so broken by it that just just it just cuts you in half watching it and that's the most and that's what i remember most of
1: from this show yeah, i don't yeah. remember the action you know fine i mean there's the scene where like sam like throws out a bunch of a bunch of people out of the plane just like totally yeah. murders them what? that is exciting i guess <laughs>
0: yeah but it none of them leaves an impact
1: like this yeah i will say well we'll get into that later but um the are there out of our like main four characters who are kind of leads in their own way right we have carly who's the antagonist john walker who is uh, maybe friend, maybe foe, and then Sam and Bucky. Uh, I feel like those are the real kind of core four of the series in terms of leads. Does anyone's story stand out to you? Anyone's arc kind of speaks to you in a way that worked? And, I mean, we talked about why Carly's doesn't really work. Um, but, so oh. I guess, of those other three. Um, it's probably John Walker who stands
0: out, and probably because I am a big Kurt Russell fan and by proxy I am... The Easter egg of why that is why it's <laughs> it um, because I I had heard of the U.S. agent before and I was w- so surprised that they brought him to the screen and, and put him to be the, the new Captain America. And to really think about replacing Captain America is just like this. How can you do this? And it plays into Sam's story of, you know, we can't have a black guy be captain america was what they were thinking let's get another blonde haired blue-eyed soldier to be captain america and just to see the pressure of that of of him being captain america and watching him crumble and watching him go into this violent rage about losing his best friend and also just being just a not knowing how to control this to handle this power
1: he's a completely different person he's such a shithead and he's so violent I mean, so. He's not a completely different person from what he was before. He's just a <laughs> worse version of who he was before, like he which was... is kind of the whole idea of the Captain America Super Soldier Serum, right? We get that in the first movie where uh, the great Stanley Tucci gives us that speech where he says, you know, it, it will it will make uh, bad men worse and great good men great, right? That is kind of and that's what we get with Steve Rogers who takes the. So I feel like the idea there is like John Walker is a flawed person who becomes a monster when his flaws are amplified yeah i i I, I mean i guess i had just taken him as a better person
0: not like he wasn't perfect but he was just the wrong guy just because he fit a couple
1: credentials like you said the emotionally wasn't the guy and i i just think he was petty and small in ways that can get overlooked in a different context but when all of your traits are being amplified. And when the world is watching you with a microscope, it just is a terrible situation at that point. I, I think he
0: that's the one to watching him break and see what he became. I think it was a pretty compelling story for me. Um, I liked watching it, especially Wyatt Russell's performance. I think he did a really great job with it. But I think that was a pretty compelling story. And then we get the introduction through this of Val mm-hmm. aligning with this dark Captain America, this broken, evil, you know, monstrous Captain America just gives me this whole thing of like, okay, who is she? Besides the fact it's hilarious because the last person you're expecting in Marvel is Julia Louis-Dreyfus. But it's like, okay, what is she? Who is she? Like, now we have all these questions and I'm very excited to see where that goes. So I like yes. that that went off to here. Um, about the others, I mean, I mean, Bucky's was... They really leaned into it in the beginning. I feel the first couple episodes really lean into it with the therapy and the date and all that stuff. And then they kind of just kind of put a pause on it. And then it kind of has to he has to reconcile it at the end. And I'm just like, all right, that's
1: cool. He reconciled it. I
0: don't know where he goes from here either. But like, okay,
1: that wasn't. I think he's going to go have a couple dates with Sam's sister is what we get the implication (laughs) of. Imagine up. It he's just married to Sam's sister. Can you see, he could be his brother-in-law. I could see that happening. Uh, but yes, I, I, I agree. I think that the Bucky stuff gets really muddled. Like It's yeah. it's important in the first episode. It's important in the last episode. And then in the middle episode, when the Wakandans come around, you get like a little bit also. But it really just feels like, okay, we need to stop everything. Take a few minutes to talk about Bucky's problems. Okay, moving on back to what we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, and... And, and, uh, and as far as Sam, like I feel like he's just overburdened in this show, and he doesn't get a, 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 the opportunity that he deserved to really show, be a showcase. You know, he's the star of the show, and it's just so overloaded with other stuff. It really, it really feels like you know Captain America's B team is is just like it's like sometimes this happens in comic books where like a, like a lead character develops such a significant supporting cast that eventually they just get their own comic book title where it's like what is everybody up to when you know Spider-Man's not around and it's like well i mean i don't really care because i i'm here for Spider-Man right so yeah. i feel like this becomes that like they didn't it almost feels like they didn't trust that character could be the center of the story and so they just needed to throw every single captain america character who is still alive into this show just to make it work and also he's he's the guy who runs into all the all the problems run
0: through him like Uh, Or all the sad stuff. So he's the one who has to face Carly. He gets the Isaiah Bradley story. You know, he gets, you know, involved with Sharon. And then we got
1: Zemo. So he's always in in the mix. But like you said, he never feels like the lead. He's the person everyone is talking to. And then finally in the finale, he gets to make a speech. And you're like, okay. (laughs) It's like, why didn't you get to be the star of your own TV show? Yeah, which is a little concerning. It sucks. Uh, But that's going to bring us to our next segment, which is our Heimdall Memorial Hindsight Corner, where we talk about how this show changed in our rewatch. And before we get to that, I want to pitch you this idea. All right. We said this show is too much, right? It's there's too many balls in the air. I think that felt that way when I watched it the first time. I feel that way when I watched it the second time. Here's what I would say. I think I could fix this show. Do you want to hear how? Yes. Okay. so get rid of the Flag Smashers, get rid of the global like w- scope of the show, make it be about America, make it be about racism, make Baron Zemo the villain. Like, and here's how you do it. You have uh, Sam gives up the shield, like we see, the United States contacts the power broker, gets super soldier serum, gives it to John Walker. He is the new Captain America. Baron Zemo finds out that the new Captain America is out there with super soldier serum, decides to break out of prison to stop the super soldiers because we know that he is a fanatic against super soldiers, right? So he is the main antagonist of the show. But the more we come to learn about John Walker, the more we realize he shouldn't be the, the main Captain America. He shouldn't be trusted with this power. Sam starts off having a having sort of a a sort of hesitant respect for him as we see in this show. And that slowly degrades until it turns out that maybe he is the real villain of the series. But in the meantime, Baron Zemo, maybe he has a point about super soldiers, but while he's pursuing John Walker, he finds out about Isaiah Bradley and decides to target him as well. And so Sam and Isaiah have to kind of team up to protect this, to protect, well, that Sam has to protect Isaiah. We get a lot more stuff with him and, Ultimately, it comes down to Zemo wasn't really the main villain because he has a point about super soldiers, but we need to protect Isaiah. So he goes and then we get a final confrontation between John Walker and Sam because they disagree over what should happen to Zemo. And ultimately, Sam beats Walker, becomes the new Captain America. Isn't that a better show? It is, but where is Bucky fitted
0: into any of that?
1: He doesn't need to be on the show. I mean, he could be the <laughs> sidekick who's running around and helping and doesn't get an arc of his own. If his arc is the you same as this arc, show, you know, where he just, like, is there and then, like, has two scenes in the first episode, two scenes in the last episode, fine.
0: Uh, you know his arc is, he has to find the Power Broker.
1: Okay. And that stop can
0: happen. And stop, like, say, like, the Power Broker takes back Super Soldier Serum and he's got to, like, find it and stuff like that. There you go. And then we, we turn out it's Sharon. and There's the reveal of Sharon. But yeah. she somehow works her way out of it, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. That's a better show. That's a much better Right. Show.
1: Because it's focusing on the things that matter about the story that you're trying to tell and making the best use of your actual assets. Now, I think the problem with that is probably some of the plans that they have moving forward. They want Zemo to be a likable person. But I think in my version, he gets to start out as an antagonist and then you get to kind of see that he has a point at a certain point and he's just pursuing it for the wrong reasons, just like what they're trying to do with Carly but they can't because they don't have enough time. Uh, with with Zemo, we already have an established relationship with him, so there's a lot more that you can do in shorthand.
0: Yeah, and he also could be still arrested by the Wakandans in the end.
1: Yeah, and it becomes an argument of, like, by the time that it's clear to Sam that John Walker is bad, it's because Walker wants to kill Zemo when Sam just wants him to be arrested and sent back to prison. And so that way, yeah, Zemo okay. is proven right to... Even though his methods are wrong, at the same time that Walker, who was on the right, becomes wrong due to his own methods, right? It works together yeah. in a and way that
0: was you would see Zemo saying, You you know you should be Captain America because you're not a super soldier and you actually are fighting for what's right. Yeah. You know, you could have that without because Zemo, that's the whole thing. He doesn't have a problem with like, these guys, he's just like, you're not a super soldier. You're not abusing your power. You're trying to do the right thing. He's, you know, I mean, Simo has his faults.
1: Which is uh, a little bit of a retcon, because, like, it wasn't just super soldiers that I Simo know. didn't like in Civil War. He wanted the Avengers to go down completely. So I feel like he would not be as cool with Sam and Bucky as we, you know, but. Not a little bit. You know, because he was cool with Sam and Bucky. You know,
0: sort of, kind of. Uh, but, yeah, they, they shoved, a, they were they were, this was a two-pound bag they shoved about ten pounds in.
1: That's, now that that's you agree my... that I could have made a better show based on the the parts that we got here, uh, any other kind of, like, reactions in rewatch? Like, did certain things work better for you on rewatch? Did certain things that you liked the first time around oh, work? You, you know what didn't work for me the first time I watched it?
0: Sam's Captain America gear. I was like, oh, I don't like this at all. This looks weird. And then when I watched the second time, I'm like, ah, it works. It's fine. Yeah, it's, like, uh, like totally good um so and i I definitely love the john walker bell stuff a lot more the second time around because now because of what we know with her recruiting elena at the end of black widow it's like okay cool now i now i see i've seen this too and um yeah i i overall the isaiah stuff hit just as hard because you know sometimes you watch something a scene that's like so powerful and you're like it's hard to to hit that same power a second time around to have that same emotional reaction it was still there. It was still there, man. And you're right, yeah. I needed more Isaiah. And I
1: don't think we are going to see more Isaiah, unfortunately. No, I think that's pretty much... Well, you know, there's a chance that we could, in, and we'll talk about that later. But I think most likely we probably won't. Yeah. Did anything work not... Like, did anything work not as well? I, it, I The boat stuff. That that whole story... That, like, worked, that was even worse for you the second time around. I'm like,
0: man, this is... This seems Like, I get what they were going for. Yeah. And, again across more episodes it's going to be fine that that's a good that's a good tie off and it's a feel-good moment at the end i get that but it's just it just didn't work it's just like it needed it 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 just reinforced you needed more time i think you also needed more time with sharon like the sharon stuff at the end too i'm like i'm now i'm i'm ambivalent i liked it the first time i saw it but now i'm very ambivalent because i'm like you know because originally i'm like is she a scroll. Or you know, or is she just, is we, or we're we going somewhere else? And her character. I think she's a scroll. I think she's a scroll. I, I think we're gonna see her again. I like no, I know we're gonna see her again, but I, I just was like, just go the scroll route. I don't want any more of this geopolitical nonsense that they tried doing this because this was again that was way too much. Oh, and the Batroc stuff was, and her hiring Batroc and all that. That Yeah,
1: we didn't. Again, that just feels like we need to collect every Captain America character who's still around. <laughs> if you put
0: the rock just in the opening, that's fine. You didn't need to bring it back. Yeah, so that's what I,
1: I I agree for the most part. One thing that that stood out for me watching it a second time is that The first two action sequences, the one on the plane with Sam and the one on the on the trucks with Sam and Bucky were better than I remember them being. They were actually like very good set pieces. And it's just that the action scenes degrade over the course of this series. And I just I wonder if that was like a budget thing or a COVID thing. But it just really feels like they were they were trying to give us movie level action sequences in those first two episodes. And then it just kind of falls off.
0: The truck stuff holds up well. And I still think the fight between with with walker
1: yeah so that was going to be my other point i think that the fight sequence between walker and and sam and bucky is like the highlight of the series i think it's really really strong it's very emotional that the the whole like why are you making me do this is what john walker says which is just such a great kind of like encapsulation of everything that's wrong with him as a character in a great way uh and it's really like it's it, like it seems like it's it, there's a sense of danger to it. There's a sense of like real stakes. Like it really feels like these people might kill each other, and that is a surprise.
0: One of the few times in the show you feel that. Yeah. Like, you never feel Carly's gonna win. I never felt like Carly was gonna win. But that fight which I like I'm just like one of them could eat. Like Bucky could die in that. Like someone could die in this one for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And some of the things that stood out to me as things that didn't work as well, especially, like, I feel like they established Joaquin Torres as a great supporting character. Danny Ramirez is really, like, has just such a fresh kind of quality to him that, like, is very likable. And then he just, like, completely disappears. And it's like, why introduce this character and do such a great job casting him? and give him, like, nothing to do and have him off the screen most of the time. It's just such a wasted opportunity. I think the answer is they just have too much friggin' stuff going on, so there's nothing for him to do. But, like, that's a problem. That's not a good excuse. he He could be Ned. He could be the guy in the chair. I mean, like, he could have done anything. Well, there's like a couple of times that Sam even references him as doing things for him off screen. It's just like that is such a cheap like I'm assuming at some point in the script there were scenes there and then they just like wrote it off with a line of dialogue because they just didn't have the time. But like what a waste, you know, they could bring him back, though. I think think they definitely I would be really surprised if they
0: didn't. I thought they were going to kill him off early on with the flag smashers. I thought that was going to
1: motivate them. They're going to kill this guy. And I mean, almost if they're never going to use him again, they should have. Yeah, I think I think he'll be back for at least the next Captain America movie if we don't yeah. see him before then. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'll say is that you know, as kind of hokey as it is, the family barbecue at the end was nice, and it, it felt like it felt it felt earned in a way. Whereas like these people get to be real people and like be part of a community and uh, be a big family together, and and that's nice. And it also captures like, hey, this is you know
0: America. This is like we is there is is still a sense of community and there still is a sense of people want to help each other.
1: Yeah, and, I, and there's a couple of small moments, like, at Sam's sisters that work in that regard, too. Like, there's the moment where, like, Sam is trying to decide whether he wants to be Captain America or not. He already has the shield. And, like, his nephews, like, pick it up and, like, start to play with it a little bit. And they're, like, in awe of it. And it just, like, is a very nice kind of subtle moment without any dialogue. Where you get the sense of, like, what is it that would pull him to do this after listening to Isaiah Bradley? And it's, like, that. It's, it's the future, right? It's the, And that is enough to pull him through. And I like that that is such an important moment to where we end up and it's all unspoken it's just you know a little visual imagery and it's the this show could have used more of that
0: dialogue would have been so bad if they wrote that
1: <laughs> it's just like you should be captain america essentially what it would have been the lines well and I mean we kind of do get that a scene later where him and and Bucky are like hashing it out while practicing with the shield and they're just like finally talking about their feelings but by talking about them they're literally just like stating expositional dialogue basically so it's like not the best but anyway uh, now it's time to move on to Infinity and Beyond where we talk about the connections future teases and we've already kind of hit on a couple of those things so Bill what are some of the things that like really stand out to you as exciting to move forward
0: well the new, new, new world order Captain America in the next movie coming out 2024 uh mm-hmm. so yeah so i mean we're gonna so we're gonna see sam in his full first captain america's you know his first run is a captain america uh we do have two avengers films coming up so you're gonna assume the cap will be a major part of that we hope um i assume we're gonna get bucky and maybe torres in that and uh, I, I'm very interested to see, you know, we mentioned during our San Diego Comic-Con episode, we talked about Thunderbolts and we we're thinking maybe this is where U.S. agent and Elena and Val, that whole thing is going to come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, um, we have uh, the kind of the bigger picture of what's happening which i'm sure will play into new world order where uh, they now have to figure out where these refugees are coming those the snapped refugees are coming and going i'm sure that'll play I some. don't think
1: we're i don't think we're seeing oh. any of that i think we're done thinking yeah. about the political yeah. world of the marvel universe I don't in that, that way I see new world order i again although i did talk about i liked my idea about
0: the new world order being an alien race has taken over from secret invasion they're they're running the world
1: yeah certainly could be and what i've heard like rumors unsubstantiated rumors is and i think i referenced this earlier in our recording that it, that Captain America movie might be more like Captain America Civil War than Captain America Winter Soldier where it's like actually an Avengers movie like without the title and we'll get some of the people like the the Earthbound Avengers will kind of be like teaming up and we might even get some young Avengers stuff out of it and and that, that because it's going to be coming right before the Thunderbolts movie and I think that there's a chance that those things will be uh, speaking to a similar thing so that'll be very interesting to see because of course the Thunderbolts as Bill alluded to that is the team that Val is putting together in these these Marvel TV shows so we, we she's recruited US agent by the end of this she'll have recruited someone else in a future movie that we'll be talking about soon and, and it really and you know uh, Thunderbolts uh, Baron Zemo has a long history in the comic books as the leader of the Thunderbolts I don't know if you know that or at least at one point he was yeah, so yeah. rumor well, is that he will be part of that well, team my, as well
0: My other question is, will we see Zemo in Wakanda forever, or that would just be too much? Because (laughs) he was taken. He's not in.
1: He didn't get taken by the Wakandans. He's in Uh the raft at the end of it. Oh, that's right. That's right. I always. Which is how he's able to blow up the remaining super soldiers, which is when you were like, he got redeemed at the end. I was like, I don't know if that's redemption. He did murder a bunch of innocent people. What? <laughs> were they that innocent? Though? No. They were, they were. They were unarmed at the very least. <laughs> yeah.
0: And they also took care of the other flag smashers who said, like, you know, one, one world, you know, that they're just like, so they took some of those guys out too. Um, I hope we never see them again. Yeah, and um, I, I
1: firmly believe Sharon Carter is coming I, back in Secret Invasion. I, I'm an Emily Van Camps fan, so I'm, I'm hoping to see her back in there. Um, I always but, think about, though, and I do like her, and I think she's good in all of the things we've seen her in, but uh, she, Alison Brie was very close to getting that part in Winter Soldier, and I just always think about what that would have been like. Really good. <laughs> really good is what it, what it was. Like Allison Brie as Peggy Carter's niece is just it's just a thing we should have gotten. They look like they could be related too. And she could totally channel Hallie Atwell in a way that I think I, Emily Van Camp isn't even trying to, you know. Oh, missed the,
0: opportunity you had
1: one that was uh,
0: isaiah bradley's uh nephew or grandson oh yes
1: yes yes okay yeah sorry that's a good reminder yeah uh he is eli bradley uh who is in the comic books a uh, member of the young avengers uh he he gets the super soldier serum through a blood transfusion from his uncle uh and also he is at some point taking like um, like comic book version of steroids, because it was like the early 2000s, and you needed to have a kid, uh, trying to do steroids, yeah. um, for your issues. Uh, <laughs> uh later versions of that uh, character has kind of like, uh, forgotten that piece, and I don't think that would be a part of his origin story in the movies. I would hope, but yeah, so there's a chance that he could factor into a young Avengers team, and as we will talk about today, uh, and in the future, they are assembling a lot of young Avengers characters in the background. Billy and Tommy in one division, all. So uh, there are only kids in division, but as teenagers, they are prominent members of the Young Avengers as well. So we might we might get that in the future. That's, he's kind of, he's called Patriot in the comics. So, uh, so we'll see if that happens. If it does, you would think that he would have had a little bit more to do or there would be a little bit more fanfare. He's really just kind of in the background of two scenes and that's it. Uh, but, you know, no, Uh, this was released between June and July of 2021. The series was created by writer Michael Waldron and directed by Kate Herron. Uh it stars uh, Diobia, Upper Ray, Jack Veal, Richard E. Grant, Sophia Martino, and Tom Hiddleston, all as... Loki. Uh, We touched on a number of these people in this introduction but let's break open Fury's notebook to confirm all of the new entries in this multiversal installment of uh, the MCU. Uh, We're going to kick off with Owen Wilson playing Morbius, who is uh, no, no, he's no, he's not Morbius. Mo- Mobius. <laughs> Mobius. Not
0: Morbid time, uh, my friend. He is no, Mobius. Mobius. Mo- Mobius. Yes, and as in I, the Mobius strip. I did not see Morbius. I don't need to see Morbius, but I can tell you, this character is way
1: better than Morbius. Yes, I apologize to everyone and like who has ever lived uh, for that slip-up. Uh, <laughs> Mobius is a member of the TVA. Uh, he's kind of Loki's right-hand man throughout a lot of this. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get into his deal later. We also have about the raw playing Ravana Renslayer, a very important comic character. Uh, Richard E. Grant is, as we said, he's playing classic Loki. That's how he's officially um, credited. He's kind of like an old version of Loki with his classic uh, comic book character costume. Uh, We also have Sophia DiMartino who plays uh, the female version of Loki. Uh, She likes to go by Sylvie because uh, Loki is a name that is too traumatic for her to remember. Uh, We also have Wunmi Masaka who plays Hunter B-15. Sasha Lane plays Hunter C-20. Those are both uh, members of the TVA as well who have a really rough go of things, uh, as we'll, we'll talk about. We also have Jack Veal, as I said, as Kid Loki. And uh, Major, 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 Jonathan Majors, who plays He Who Remains, a.k.a. King the Conqueror. And we uh, we also have ta- the voice
0: of Tara Strong as Miss Minutes.
1: Absolutely. Miss Minutes, who opened up the San Diego Comic-Con panel uh, this year, uh, which is a very fun note. Like, they know exactly what they're doing in the best way over there. I know. We did. I, I know we're jumping
0: ahead, but... That character can't go away anytime soon. That character.
1: (laughs) And also, I should say, uh, Diobia Apuri is credited as boastful Loki. He is seen uh, in only like one and a half episodes uh, telling a lot of tall tales and things not working out quite as well, as often is the case with a Loki. Uh, (laughs) So next, Bill. I have to ask you to ask me to do Luis's story corner where I have 90 seconds to talk about this multiversal mystery series. I will cut you off early. If you call him Morbius though. Just, okay. You're going to be giving a
0: five second. I'm going to be
1: calling him Owen Wilson. <laughs> that was a smart move. All right. Listen, because okay. It's like, because Morbius mobius and morpheus right they're just they're all like too close together for me yeah and i'm watching i'm watching sandman right now and his
0: name is also morpheus so this is gonna be a hell of a time to remember all these so in three two one go
1: Okay, so the series starts off with Loki at the end, which, uh, like, at, during Avengers Endgame, he gets the Tesseract and he blips out, and we don't know what happens. Turns out he landed in uh, the Gobi Desert, I think, and he's like, I am going to be your leader now, and everybody's like, what are you talking about? And then these, like, TVA people come up, and they they arrest him, and he's like, who are you? I don't care what you have to say, and they take him into custody, and then turns out TVA is this uh, time variance authority, uh, this fascistic organization in charge of the time timeline, protecting the sacred timeline, which we come to learn eventually is a timeline uh, which uh, ensures that other versions of Kang the Conqueror do not emerge because this version of Kang the Conqueror uh, fought a multiversal war uh, spanning eons, uh, fighting all of his his time variants, and uh, he won, and so now he's in charge of making sure they don't pop up. But uh, if the, in order to do that they have to destroy every reality that uh, gets in his way, uh, so that is ultimately bad. But the members of the TVA don't know this; they think that they are in charge of the time by the timekeepers, uh, who turn out to be robots. Uh, and uh, this is a real bummer for all of our friends at the TVA. They all handle it differently. Uh, so uh, we also have Lo- Sylvie, who is trying to topple the TVA. Loki first tries to help Owen Wilson uh, track uh, Sylvie, but eventually uh, jumps teams. It uh, becomes BFF with Sylvie. Uh, they fall in love. They almost consummate that relationship, even though they're each other. They're the same person. Weird. Uh, but then they go to Kang's castle and, uh, <laughs> and they kill him. Uh, but Loki is, is sent home. OK, I don't know. I feel like I got like 60 percent of the way there. <laughs> I mean, there's a, it's a thick story.
0: It's a, it, it is a lot going on because we are talking about timelines. This is when we really, really, really start getting to the multiverse stuff. There's the, a multiverse. Yes. And there's the deviating timelines. We learned about Loki, the different versions of Loki. There's a lot happening in this, just like the last series. But I think told in a way that's way easier to understand and way more enjoyable to watch.
1: Yes, I would agree, because they have a very narrow focus. There's a lot of uh, things happening, but there's not a lot of characters that we have to track or care about, really. It's just kind of a core set of of people. We have Loki, and we have Sylvie. We have uh, Mobius, and we have Ravana, uh, and that's pretty much it outside of, you know, we also have the Hunters, right, B, uh, B-15 and C-20, uh, and they kind of play a pivotal role plot point but they're not really characters that we're tracking throughout Hunter b15 more so than Hunter c20 uh but otherwise it's really just them it's it's just that kind of like core trio of characters and that really helps us focus on the worlds that we're learning about all of the sort of crazy like world building and uh and lets us also be invested in this relationship the not trio uh core four as we should say right because the Sylvie, Loki, Ravana, Mobius, and and I think that they are interesting pairings with each other. They all have different, distinct relationships with each other. The exception of Loki and Ravana, they don't really have much screen time together. But everyone else, uh, and. I get, well, no, yeah, that's that's not true, because I was going to say Mobius and, and Sylvie don't have a lot to do, but towards the end of the series, they do. They they, they get a lot of face time. So, it really, so for the most part, they all exist as characters with distinct relationships with each other, and we get to know them very well inside of a world that we also get to know really well, and that is why a lot of people think this is the best Marvel TV show that we've gotten so far.
0: Yeah, I, I really like this one. I mean, as a Doctor Who fan, this it has some Doctor Who-isms and has a little bit of that vibe going on. But I really what I really love about this show is it just like the the aesthetic of it really plays into that 70s dystopian sci fi. Like by mm-hmm. like the very bland like the the beige coloring like almost the 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 way the set is especially when they're in the library the how that's set it's up like a
1: harsh modernism to the aesthetic which is really strong. yeah I, you knew what it would be uh <laughs> but I was gonna say it reminds me of Logan's Run <laughs> which I don't
0: think is <laughs> like a movie but I remember the 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 sets uh but yeah and and, and it's it's so character driven. Even though there's all these worlds and these timelines we're supposed to know, and it's going to play a huge part in the future MCU, but it's so character-driven, literally because our main character is split, you know, has a multitude of variants, which are all hilarious and tragic upon their own,
1: or and one of them is a, an alligator. Yes, uh, Alligator Loki was not included in the cast list that I've read, because he is, of course, an alligator, and not even an actual alligator, so I can't credit the alligator actor who portrayed him, he is a full CGI creation, uh, which is good, because we believe in ethical use of animals on set, and so that means no animals on set, if at all possible, so I am a fan of the fact that we didn't meet, like, Dave the alligator, or whatever, (laughs) but, uh... (laughs) He is an indelible part of this uh, this series. The brief screen time that he gets, so we we
0: would be remiss not to mention him at all. Yeah, and we are introduced to Kang, who is um that scene should never have worked, but did because there yes. was so much happening in that scene. I, I'm just I was sweating during that whole scene because I'm like. This can the first time I watched it because I'm like, this could go terribly wrong. And so much of this, I feel, is um, so much of Marvel is riding on this character hitting and selling because we're assuming, as we just found out, stuff's going to happen with Kang
1: and it's just such a fantastic performance by Jonathan Majors. I am so I'm a huge fan of him as an actor. I've seen him in almost everything that he's been credited in because I just seek him out. He's really really strong and he, and it's a pretty young career all things considered. And most of the characters that I've seen him portray are really pent up characters. There's a lot of uh a lot of like uh like inner turmoil that is like ready to burst out but is is being held back uh and he is so loose and fun in this in a way that is just was so surprising to me and so and so exciting because he just felt electric the whole time he was on stage or on screen rather he (laughs) felt like he was on stage It, it really did feel like a play
0: and you think about who he's in this scene with like tom hiddleston like johnny charisma himself and sylvia Martino, who we just all fell in love with during this show because she just matched hiddleston and out and just, she went toe to toe with him and but in a completely different energy and he out was able to outshine both of them and the, that scene is just wild to see and just watching the interplay of that scene it's just such a great great scene that not only does it just works so perfectly for the show that now you're just now you're like now i need to see more jonathan majors and then you find out were the first time. We're going Hopefully. to be seeing
1: a lot more of
0: him. <laughs> we think we're going to see him next, which we'll get to this is is very exciting.
1: Yeah. And I have to say, I mean, all due respect to people who say that the the finale didn't work for them because it was just people talking in a room and they want big action or whatever. I, I, I like I, I I get that, like, not, like, that not everybody is me, and not everybody wants to just watch a scene with, like, three great actors just delivering amazing dialogue. That's fine. Like, you're here to watch people punch each other. It's an action movie supposed to be, right? I love that this isn't that at all. There's, like, one main action sequence that is, like, a fight scene, and it's, like, early on, it's the kind of the sequence in the hurricane Uh, setting where, like, Loki meets Sylvie for the first time and she's having some of the people... uh, She's possessing people and having them, like, punch him and stuff. And that's, like, there's a fun kind of quality to that, but I'm glad that that's basically the only action scene we get. Like, it's good if we're a Marvel TV... If we're going to have, like, uh, eight Marvel properties every single year (laughs) between movies and TV, I need a little variety in what type of stories you're going to tell and what type of genre you're in, and I'm much prefer uh having a a show that is built around relationships and characters talking to each other and and battling with words than just having like uh de-rigueur uh action scenes stuck into them just to justify the fact that it's like a superhero show uh this is a weird thing i'm gonna say this felt like very british
0: to me it's like something you see on a bbc america or something like that where it's more of a there's a lot happening but it's very dialogue and character driven and you get like one or two set pieces that are action like there's that one you talked about there's one on the train where he's drunk and he starts a fist fight with the guards and stuff like that like and then you of course have the big chase sequence where sylvie and mobius are driving away into a little jalopy away everything the you know that planet being consumed is like but it felt very british because it was so talky and i was just like But it was all intelligent British talk, (laughs) I'll say. So that's why it worked for me, because it had such a different tone and tenor than everything else we'd seen, which is kind of the MO we've seen of these three shows we've discussed.
1: They're all very different. Very different, which is good. good. It's it's important. It needs to be different. It can't all be the same. It just can't. I I don't want it to be. So speaking of difference, uh, we're going to go to a CAP support group now, uh, decide who had the most terrible trauma. Uh, I think there is a little bit of contention here between our two leads, but I want to give some honors to runners-up because I think uh, a a quartet... Of characters if you will end up kind of having the same trauma which is uh the thing that they dedicated their whole life to uh it turns out it wasn't real uh or wasn't good anyway uh and that would be mobius ravana and hunters b15 and B and c20 uh they all learn that the tva is bullshit and bad um the hunters b15 and c20 are gifted from sylvie uh, at least a, a vision of what their lives were before they were ripped from their time uh, and that really messes them up, understandably. Uh, that feels bad. Uh, <laughs> R- Ravana learns that what she dedicated her life to is not real, and she decides that she needs to make it mean something, even if that means she has to break bad to do it. And of course, Mobius realizes that it's all been a lie, uh, and he decides to throw himself into being, taking up a righteous cause instead, Um, out of all of these, did any of their kind of emotional journeys jump out to you the most?
0: Well, the ending really
1: (laughs) screws a lot with that.
0: But, um, of them, I think it was in the Ravana stuff where she was so desperate to keep the charade going was, I think, as heartbreaking as B-15, uh, as her, um, as her realization of because she's like wooney Musaka who was all who's with Jonathan Majors in Lovecraft Country is just she's mm-hmm. a fantastic actress and she was also in um we own we own the city which was um, yeah. yeah she was Very really good dude. she was really really good in that um her basically was one of the I she was her then Mobius realizing what was going on her just. It was two sides of the coin. Like, her, she was, the rage she had again, she was so angry at what they had did. She was willing to just help Loki. But Ravana being like, I'll take everyone out. I don't care. I'll kill Loki. Yeah. I'll kill everyone just to keep fake puppet robots. <laughs> like, people <laughs> believing in that. That was, I think, the saddest. Because it was, she just, what was, her whole life was, she was the head of this. This was everything to her. This was she her-
1: worked her way up to become the head of it. Like, that's, yeah. you know. She started as a lowly hunter herself Yeah, and and rose through the ranks to become a judge.
0: Yeah. And and think about everything she had to do as a judge. How many people did she sentence to, you know, to be, uh, what was it, cropped? Um, Oh, I can't remember the name of it, where they sapped them. I had a specific word for it, and I just blanked on it. But just how many people did she execute, essentially? How many timelines were crushed? because?
1: And what did she have to do as a hunter to rise to the ranks? You know, like Fair imagine place. that.
0: So many people she had to, it had done terrible things to. And so to justify her own sins, but also justifying her own existence, she has to go even worse. And I think that's the saddest part.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that, I think all four actors do a really good job conveying the emotional anguish that they're going through. But I think that the choice that Ravana makes is so interesting that it kind of elevates her reaction above all the others. But I will say it pales in comparison to Loki and Sylvie. I mean, Loki... Loki cop. finds out that he is a time variant that shouldn't exist uh, and then he gets a nice little clip reel of all of the things that his future self will do after the Battle of New York where he learns that he inadvertently causes his mother's death, uh, he watches his father die, uh, he watches a sister who he didn't know exists uh, destroy his home planet, which he helps in in a way that he doesn't quite understand uh, his role there, except for the fact that he was pivotal, um, which is a little bit sad because it turns out that that was actually a heroic moment for him, but he thinks it was a, a a terrible one um and uh he eventually ends up watching his own death uh before the reel runs out uh, so that all is bad and a bummer um also we have sylvie who uh, is ripped from a loving and supportive childhood which is something that loki didn't exactly have uh, uh for the crime of existing uh and has been on the run ever since from the fascistic law enforcement organization known as the tva uh out of these two who do you think had it worse
0: Ah, man, that could depend on the day you ask me, really, because it's just, like, I mean, I think solely, because her crime is existence.
1: Yeah, she didn't, at least Loki, like, did a lot of bad stuff.
0: He was a dick at some point. She was just a kid. Yes. You know, so it's the sad part, And, and, like...
1: And it's her pain that drives us through the narrative, and it's her pain that brings us to the finale, where she ultimately, you know, she descends to that thing that Loki, we know, is capable of through the various iterations that we've seen of him, which is letting that emotional uh that that entitlement of justice of what is right of what is owed kind of overcome his rational faculties we get to see her have that same arc in a very different context where she chooses to get revenge on this person who has destroyed her life and her world instead of you know coming to some sort of an agreement to help preserve reality you know and I feel like it's, that was a moment, like, there are moments throughout where they mirror each other in interesting ways. But I found the kind of, like, creation of that arc, that culmination of that arc, I should say, as really interesting way to kind of, like, put the button on, she is Loki, you know? And
0: it's it's wild to think that Loki, at the heart of it, is the cause of everything that's going to happen for the next few years and few movies, because they made a decision, you know, and and, and it's just wild to think about just like the, the butterfly effect of all of that. Whereas we didn't have that really with, you know, the first, you know, the infinity saga was, you know, Thanos had his, his, his goal, his mission and he was going to do this. And it's just like, this is now a decision that was made and all hell's breaking
1: loose from this. Yeah. And to put that on the shoulders of not even a character that we met before this show started is really interesting.
0: Yeah. And, uh But you know what's funny is like the, it's just the whole thing with like their variant, their variants of Loki, like the Tom Hiddleston we see and Sylvie, and they fall for each other. Again, on paper, sounds just bonkers, should not work. But they're so great together. They make it so believable and so honest. And that's awesome. That's why I love watching it. Again, this as six episodes, I think worked. Yeah. I couldn't. I could have easily taken another eight, you know. I have
1: no notes in terms of, like, the length of the series. I think that it's dealt out pretty well. I think... I could have used uh, another episode just because (laughs) of the world of it, you know? Yeah. And and I will say, you know, there was a moment in the middle of the season where it looked like uh, Loki, our Loki, Tom Hilton's Loki, was killed uh, via pruning. That was the word that you were looking for before. Uh, It looked like he had been pruned. And... At that moment, and I'm happy with what happened because it was so wild and so fun and so creative and it was really exciting. But in that moment, I was like, I'm ready for her to take over and like yeah. take the mantle of Loki and move forward. I feel like we've seen everything we need to see from Tom Hiddleston as great as he has been and as great as he is in the show. Uh, I would be happy with him putting the cap on the, on the you know, um, cap hook. <laughs> put and, a, put a cap on. Yeah, yeah a and hang up the and, horns. Yeah. Yeah, hanging up the horns and, and, and pass and letting Sylvie be our new, you know, MCU Loki movie because I think she earned it. She's really, really great character.
0: I agree. But I I liked how they did it, but I think just with how the multiverse may play out, we'll see both of
1: them still intertwine throughout. Like you sure, don't you don't need to choose. No. But I think if we had to choose at this point, yeah, I would choose her. Yeah, I think Hiddleston
0: can go, but I think people will still cling on to it. They, that's why they don't want to see because he's so good. I could have seen a script where they're like, oh, he, he's gone. And they're like, nah, you can't. You can't get rid of him. <laughs> like, you got to get him
1: around. But now, you know, we are talking about Asgardians, so we have to move into the Heimdall Memorial hindsight corner. This is going to be pretty brief because I feel like our reflections, we kind of hit on a lot of stuff already. <laughs> really good. But I want to start out by just saying that my initial kind of feeling was that the episodes kind of sagged in the middle and then it picked up at the end. And I didn't really feel that as much the second time around. I felt like it was really strong throughout in a way that I think I was kind of like, you know, I was watching a lot of these episodes at like six in the morning before work. And that was not always the best way to watch a TV show. Um, watching it straight through, I think it's very well paced and moves really well. And, and the arcs really track, and the world expansion is deliberate in a way that I really respect upon rewatch.
0: I was just you know what I was you know I I have su- I held this show in such high regard and just watching some supercuts of this and rewatching some stuff and reading the reviews and everything I w- I am so surprised at how much of this held up and like and I forgot how much they dealt with I'm like man they dealt they were th- you always talk about the economy of like time you know what I mean like they they maximized the minutes of this show so well to tell so many stories and they were able to tell small stories very in Im- and effectively and there was great impact with them especially the hunter stories and the revelation of who they were and all stuff it, like it was so well done it never felt like we were just like okay we're going on this sidetrack for a bit okay now we're back to the thing you want to see and just also revisiting John, the jonathan majors of it all just because we're so used to him being so serious i had forgotten how just just like you said how loose he got and how fun he is and how It's really exciting to see what's going to happen with it. And he's just
1: chomping on that apple, which is, like, the literal, like, biblical symbol of of forbidden knowledge. And it's like, ah, it's so perfect.
0: Yeah, and it just, you forget how great, you know, Loki and Sylvie are together. Just so great. They're so good together. And it's just like. They really, really are. They get the bickering that we wanted, that comedy that we wanted in the previous series. They nail that and there're always there're always this comedy and tragedy in this and classic loki where he is able to do the projection of asgard uh, no it was asgard what he project yeah. he projected asgard and then it that was all his ultimate demise but he he was funny and he was and richard e. grant
1: is always great and he, he was, was so able great. he was and so perfect casting as it, like an old town Hiddleston in a sense like so great and he was wearing, and he looked ridiculous,
0: but it made all the sense in the world. So there was the co- comedic tragedy of that. And Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson, you forget how we, we just talk about like Lokis and how great they are. Uh, Owen Wilson is fantastic in this series. So good.: It's like some of his best work. Because he's not the he does the wow you know he does that but it's like he still has the Owen Wilsonness of it but when he has that scene where he gets real he get, he does the, the cut the shit scene with Loki like he does a really good straight man for Tom Hiddleston and he can get very serious with that role and I really liked what they did and I like the fact that we're gonna keep him around.
1: And he has really great chemistry with Tom Hiddleston. Like there's this one scene towards the end where he's just, he says, I wrote it down. He's like, it's always the game within the game with you guys. And it's like, it yeah. just like, the way he delivers it is just like really fun. And then there's also, and like you were saying, like uh, Tom Hiddleston and Sophia DiMartino have great chemistry as well. Like when they're on Lamentis and they're fighting over the Tempad, right? Uh, and Loki has it hidden and she's just like she's trying to play along and she's trying to be like trying to like uh, coerce it out of him and it's he's not falling for it and then eventually she just like gives up and she just like loses it and she's like where do you have it hidden and he goes in my heart and she goes well then I'll cut it out and he goes nice very droll lovely and it's like a moment where he's like appreciating himself as much as her and like it's I just love it it's just like a really fun dynamic that they have. And then, and it can also be really emotional too. Like they have this moment later in the series where he turns to her and he's like, "Do you think what makes a Loki a Loki is that we're destined to lose?" And our other Loki says, "No, we may lose sometimes painfully, but we don't die. We survive." And that's, and I believe that's Richard E. Grant talking to our Loki when they're when they're having that conversation. And I think it's like that is such a nice spin on the idea because I feel like a lot of this series is like what makes Loki Loki. We have all these different versions of Loki. A lot of like the quest early on is like trying to get inside a different Loki's that mind. It's like what makes them who they are. And like it is the case of like they are undone by their flaws, but they survive and move forward anyway. And they're changed by that experience and the degree to which they're changed is the degree to which they become a hero or not. But so Last segment on Loki, uh, Infinity and Beyond, what MCU connections, future teases. We know Kang, huge, Jonathan Majors, to be the central antagonist of the multiversal saga we learned that at san diego comic-con he will be appearing most likely in loki season two because this is the only mcu show that we have so far that is getting a second season that we know officially uh they're shooting it right now as a matter of fact so very exciting uh we also know that he will uh, appear in avengers kang dynasty given the fact that it is called avengers kang dynasty uh assumption uh he will also likely appear in the follow-up avengers movie secret wars assumption he will likely appear in Fantastic Four, uh, given his historic ties to that franchise. Uh, and uh, we also know for sure that a version of him will be appearing in Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania, which is certainly interesting, uh, given all of that. So we're gonna get a lot more Jonathan Majors. He might even pop up other places in the meantime, we don't know. Uh, and what we've been teased is that this was one version of Kang, but we're going to be getting lots of different versions distinct versions and this is the version of kang who has been locked inside of a a palace of like a glass cage of his own design for like eons basically and that's why he's like wild very interested to see what he chooses to do with other versions that we'll be getting in the future any other things that you want to talk about that we might be getting um i don't think there's anything like solid that we're going to end up getting um curious
0: how it does how the whole multiverse and how the TVA plays into the rest of the mcu um will we ever get a thor and low-key reunion i don't know i don't think we will Unle- un- until it comes i don't down- need it i
1: don't, I don't need-, need
0: them yeah. to get together um, i'm just just positing a th- you know a question now just like i don't i don't know if we need it either i'm just wondering if they the, i because that would feel forced because i think they they sewed that one up really nicely um yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I don't have anything else that ties into outside of those.
1: The only other connection is the potential that Kid Loki will appear in a Young Avengers property moving forward. Oh, okay. Because he he is a character in Young Avengers, so that is a possibility. Yeah, hey, he's a alright. Now, and he is most notable for uh, being the Loki who killed Thor as a child. So a <laughs> yeah. little dark. Uh, they call him King Loki in the world of the Lokis because he's the only one that killed Thor. So, Also something that we didn't talk about and we will almost certainly not see in the future, but we do get a, a brief shout out to uh, Frog Thor, Throg. Uh, so, um, and the Thanos bouncing around. And they actually, uh, they had Chris Hemsworth, uh, you some dialogue for that that ended up getting cut out so he is credited but he's credited because he makes like uh, 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 sounds when he's like jumping and that's chris emsworth so you know there's that uh.
0: <laughs> uh and apparently there the thanoscopter makes a uh a yes. uh, cameo in the
1: background too from uh, one of Thanos' first appearances in Iron Man uh, yep. back in the day, it's yep. so weird to think that he was he launched as an Iron Man villain, given that his origins are so cosmic. Uh, But certainly not least, we're closing out our coverage of the 2021 Disney series, the way that they closed out 2021, uh, with Hawkeye, which was released November and December of 2021. The series is created by writer Jonathan Igla and directed by Reese Thomas and the duo Berta and uh, Bert and Bertie. Uh this series stars both Jeremy Renner and Haley Seinfeld as Hawkeye. Uh, we're going to break open Fury's Notebook one last time in this long episode uh, and introduce our new characters. Uh, they include, as I said, Haley Seinfeld as Kate Bishop, who will grow into the mantle of Hawkeye by the end of the series. Uh, her awesome, super cool, very chill mom, played by Vera Farmiga, uh, who is uh, Ele- Eleanor Bishop. Uh, <laughs> who in the comic books is also known as uh, Madam Mask, but we don't get that here. We may never get it. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, also, uh, we have uh, Fra... Free as Kazi, uh, who is like an insane clown in the comics, but uh, we didn't get that here either. Uh, also we have Alaqua Cox as Maya Lopez, AKA Echo. Uh, Zach McLaren as his, as her beloved father, William Lopez, uh, dearly departed. Speaking of dearly departed dads, we have Brian Darcy Dames in one scene as Derek Bishop for some reason. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the fantastic Tony Dalton having the time of his life as jack duquesne uh aka the swordsman um and uh of yeah. course <laughs> of course the official introduction into the marvel cinematic universe of vincent d'onofrio as wilson fisk aka the kingpin and i just as i was thinking about him in this show i just kept hearing his voice being like and that Bishop woman wants to <laughs> check out like she works for Goldman Sachs. It's just like the way he says it. It's just like, I don't know, it's just perfect. Uh the Bishop Woman. Like it's such disdain. thought oh, uh, <laughs> that someone else who's having the time of his life in this show. My God. Oh man, he was so happy to be back as Kingpin. Oh yeah. But anyway, those w- were our new additions. Anyone else you want to mention that I missed? Well, not new additions, I was gonna say. Well, of course
0: we have we we talked about we talked about animals, and we had Pizza Dog.
1: Of course, Lucky the Pizza Dog, who was a real dog, not a CG creation, and I guess that's okay. But his eye was a CG cre- creation. He is, in real life, a two-eyed dog, uh, and that's, that's nice, because I don't want to think about dogs uh, who have been blind- partially blinded by the cruelty of mankind. Uh, so please CG that, that's okay. Um, also, I didn't list any of them, because you know I don't feel like any of them really stand out exactly, but we have the Bros uh you know, the moving company, aka uh, this, the um, sweatsuit mafia. Sweatsuit mafia. Right? Uh, Tracksuit mafia.
0: And yeah. uh, then, of course, you have, um,
1: you know, the uh, Adam, former
0: friend star Adam Pascal in Rogers, the musical. <laughs> um, true, true. Uh, I can't
1: forget him. And then we had some returns for this one, but we don't talk about them in Jury's notebook. Yes, lots of returns. So uh, now it's time for the last time in this lovely evening for me to do a Louise Story Corner where you time me for 90 seconds to recount the holiday-infused crime caper that is Hawkeye. Three, two, one, begin. Okay, so we start out by seeing uh, Haley Seinfeld, a.k.a. Kate Bishop, uh, experience uh, Avengers, uh, the first Avengers, the Battle of New York, uh, where her parents are fighting, and then uh, suddenly uh, aliens attack the city, and her dad dies. So sad. But also, she sees uh, Hawkeye, just a regular guy, shooting arrows and fighting aliens, and it's really inspiring. So she decides to become an archer, uh, and then she uh, becomes a super cool uh, person who has lots of really cool skills uh, in a montage. And then uh, after that, it's just kind of like a team up where uh, she accidentally uh, takes the Ronin costume and fights some bad guys at an underground uh, um, uh, auction that's the word uh, and then uh, she uh, because she's wearing that suit uh, Hawkeye Jeremy Renner comes running and, and they team up even though he really doesn't want to she's really excited about it because she's his biggest fan uh, and uh, they keep fighting over whether they should uh, help each other or not uh, but eventually they do and they grow as people and celebrate the holidays and uh, first uh, she thinks that her dad, her mom uh creepy uh new uh, fiance is the bad guy but then it turns out her mom's the bad guy but then it turns out it's actually wilson fisk is the bad guy but also she gets her mom arrested on uh, christmas eve and that's a bummer you,
0: you had 14 sec you had 16 seconds to spare
1: wow i feel like i got the, the gist of it
0: you did. Well, also,
1: you... we meet Maya, who is Echo, and she uh, her dad gets killed by Ronan, and she uh, tries to attack Ronan. And also, we meet Yelena, uh, back from Black Widow, which we haven't watched yet in our re- release order, and she is upset that Natasha is dead, and she wants to kill Clint, and then uh, Clint uh, talks her out of it by date, and then they're, like, all sad about Natasha. Uh, and also, there's a watch. Yes. And it's Christmas. It's I did say it was Christmas. Oh, I know. I just like to repeat that. I'm a big Christmas fan. Anything else you want to talk about from the plot that we didn't get to?
0: Anything else we didn't get to? No, I think we hit we hit everything.
1: We, yeah, I mean- this is, for, for a show that is like a conspiracy murder mystery at the center, there's this shockingly little uh, uh, plot machinations. It's really just like they become a team, but they don't want to be a team, but then they become a team again, and and uh, turns out her mom, who seemed pretty evil because she's played by Vera Farmiga, uh, it turns out... She, she is actually evil and, uh, <laughs> and working for Wilson Fisk. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was, that was the big one, man. Uh, it was, I love
0: this show. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so straight. It's so straightforward. It yes. very much is like, Hey guys, we're not going to give you too much. Uh, we're going to give you Kingpin and Merry Christmas.
1: Enjoy. Absolutely. So we have four contenders for who should go weekly to cap support group. Uh, they are Clint, Oh, yeah. uh who is sad that her his best friend Natasha is dead uh also that his family is back which is good but he has a lot of guilt over how he turned into a murderous vigilante when they were gone, which is bad. Uh, Kate, on the other hand, her dad is dead uh, and her mom is engaged to a very untrustworthy aristocrat played by Tony Dalton uh, with a killer mustache. Uh, and also she was just kicked out of college, maybe. I feel like they say that, but then it's like, not a big deal. Um, and uh, also she is like a major hero complex that needs to be kind of like worked through with some support, I think. Um, although maybe it's a good impulse, I don't know. Uh, we also. Have have maya lopez who is also sad that her dad was murdered um, and then we have Elena, who uh is also sad that natasha is dead um and she died when Elena was snapped as we see in a flashback and uh so she also has major survivor's guilt so despite the fact that this is like really fun festive holiday caper Um, Everyone is sad because the person that they love the most is dead, (laughs) which is really kind of remarkable when you think about what they managed to turn that into. (laughs) Yeah, but it also, it works in that whole
0: Christmas, a lot of Christmas things is like this person's gone, I don't have this person for the holidays. It really kind of plays. It makes sense. Yeah, well,
1: and this is a show that I think we learned a little bit in the making that it was a much more serious and uh, somber show in oh. its written form. And they kind of, uh, it seems like while they were filming it, decided to kind of rein it in and and bring a lot more comedy to it as a result. And I know that was something that Jeremy Renner wasn't entirely happy about while they were producing it. But I think it the, you can't argue with the results. I think it was much better to try to hit that balance.
0: I think it's just like, I mean one from a cultural perspective at the time when you're filming it or whether they were just like, God, everything is heavy, everything is dark. Let's make something, let's give us a positive here for Christmas. But I still think there was plenty of serious. If they had gone even more serious, I think this would that would have hurt the show a lot. Because one of the great things about it was there was a likeness and plays into my personal opinion a rewatchability of the show around the holidays. You can throw this on in the background around Christmas time, where you put the tree up, you do whatever. It's a fun romp. There are very serious parts to it, but there's still a lot of fun. I mean, people still watch It's a Wonderful Life and spoiler alert,
1: that movie gets real serious. And real I mean, it starts out pretty serious, let me yeah, tell you. it's, uh, it's that, The yeah. cultural reputation of It's Order for Life is bizarre to me as someone who watched it and loved it. I just don't understand why people talk about it the way they do. But anyway, that's yeah. maybe I, that's what this show will become as well because it is a show that is very fun and very festive, but also very emotional. So whose emotions do you think takes the cake?
0: My knee-jerk reaction is Yelena. Yeah. Uh, Because, one... I just watched Midsummer yesterday for the
1: first time. And so Florence Pugh is definitely on the forefront of my brain and her trauma. Yeah, Florence <laughs> I mean, Pugh goes through it in the yeah. things that she does. Can't wait for Don't Worry Darling coming out uh, next month. <laughs> oh, no, uh, I don't even want to get there. But,
0: um, it's, but she's also so wildly charismatic and funny, but it yeah. just carries so much burden and weight and wants to murder Clint. But it's hard not to say Clint because Clint did – has to – is still hurting from Natasha. He was a murderous ass clown. He really, really was. And then he's got – he's got a lot – it's it's so hard because he had the whole thing where he – his family was dead and he was going through that emotional part of work of trying to get through the fact his family was dead and now they're alive and it's kind of hard for him to deal with and i think that's it's it should be easy it's like well your family's back but you watch them disappear in front of your face so it's so hard to try and process like they died but now they're back and now we have to pretend like everything's fine and i have to put the brave face on because i'm the dad and it's really hard to do that and i think that's one of the most Like WandaVision, I think, is one of the best representations of post snap MCU in the television side of things where it's just like, oh, like this is how we have to process this. And and this is this isn't lost. This is actually regaining something. And how do you deal with that? Even though you, you thought you lost, now they're back. And it's 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 a real it's a real it screws your head. And I think that's he gets it. Because he has to go with that and he also has a hearing aid too because he can't hear. So he has the physical damage to go with that of of fighting and all these things. Something I don't think
1: we've ever really examined of long term physical effects right because he is the human in the middle of all of this right that's kind of like what they try to pitch us in avengers age of ultron right like he's just the regular guy who becomes the glue that holds the team together i don't know if that really works as well as they want it to in age of ultron but it's certainly his humanity here his literal like he is not a superhero that works really well here in a show where it's kind of talking about his legacy as a as a hero and how it has impacted people like kate who is also just a person trying to do the right thing. And I think that that is a really good balance in this show and something that they explore uh, in just the right way, right? There's a way to handle that where it feels kind of too much. And I think that they hit it in just the right way. That works for me. Yeah, he does. But what worry. I would say is the only thing for Clint, and I would say he probably deserves it. Yeah. But I just feel like his, like, when he talks about his struggles with Kate and with Elena. I think those scenes are really impactful and I think he's really helped by those actresses. And I think that when he's alone, just feeling sad, I think it feels a lot less compelling. So I I kind of feel like he needs that supporting, that support staff to help him, to help carry that weight. And he does. So, you know, maybe he deserves that crown, but I kind of have to go with Yelena because I think I just love Sked bishop is just like she's just fantastic do you want my craft macaroni and cheese get bishop that whole thing was just like one that impersonation was horrid
0: but i appreciate you even doing that. it was wonderful thank you for that. but uh it's just like it's like she is so she owns like everything and you never know which way she's gonna go and that's because she doesn't really know which yeah. way she's gonna go? She's
1: so present in the scene as an actress uh-huh. and that it, and it just is—it's just <laughs> electric, you know, just like Jonathan Majors, yeah, in a but, very different way.
0: But what we get is that hopeful yelena Kate buddy film oh or my that rivalry—it's that's uh, just.
1: They're the highlight of the show. I mean, I think it's like if we have to boil it down to a few scenes, like it's all the scenes with Kate and and Yelena. Like it's, it's, it's but, her apartment scene, that scene together, that's the highlight, right there. I, well, I think it's only rivaled with their fight sequence through oh like Madison, through Rockefeller Center, which that's is so hilarious good. and fun. Like they're complimenting each other as they're beating each other up. Like it's just so like that is the sort of thing that should be like way too cute for school. You know, like it just like should be like, it just should feel kind of twee and and silly and like undercut the the stakes and just like everything that's bad about a Marvel property when a Marvel property isn't working, but it just works so well because you have such tremendous actresses, like two of the best actresses of their generation just playing off each other in this way that is just so fun to watch And it just just is electric. It's so great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I almost forgot that scene for a second. It's just like, because they really go at it. They
1: really do. And for like a long time through multiple parts of the building. Those characters beat the shit out of each other. And there's so much much humor to it and so much fun action in it. And it's just like, that's that show firing on all cylinders.
0: But I I guess we kind of undersell Echo a little bit. Because she is getting her own series. I know that's jumping ahead a little bit. But it's just like that character and her trauma really fuels why she's so such a threat, but also why we root for her mm-hmm. because we've seen her cause she overcomes so much. And, you know, she's able just to be so tough. She's so tough, but so vulnerable at the same time that she makes her relatable. She's not like, she's not, um, you know, she's not a robot, you know what I mean? She's not just stiff. She's not just a killing machine, you know, that gets, no, you know, so we want to root for her, especially when she comes to all these realiza- realizations and how she's been treated and how she was kind of betrayed by her own people. And we want to see her in her own show now. So that's yeah. the thing. If you don't buy that trauma from
1: Echo, you're not going to watch that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I'm glad that you made it because it really is. Out of all the characters that we've talked about today, I think only Wanda could be like rival. The fact that her trauma is so deeply informing who she is as a person, and that is so deeply intriguing us as a viewer. And I think that that just works so well. And it does definitely like jump you straight into wanting to see the spinoff where she kind of like deals with the fallout of everything that we've seen. Like the only issue is is that sometimes it feels like her character is just running in a different show than everyone yes. else. For sure, she was not in a Christmas special. No, no, she wasn't. She was not. She was not, in this, she was not informed it was the holidays, for sure. Um, okay, so now we'll go to our final Heimdall Memorial hindsight corner of this episode. Uh, any takeaways from your rewatch? Man, I'm so excited that Vincent
0: D'Onofrio is back, especially <laughs> with all the future stuff that's going to come out. And you see him on social media, just on Twitter, just talking about the coming back and being excited to be back in the role of Kingpin, which was such a, if there was one big takeaway from the, the Marvel Netflix shows, it was how great Vincent D'Onofrio. I've never watched them. So, w- but, but the takeaway I always hear is D'Onofrio is great as Kingpin and you look at him and he is Kingpin. The only other person that pulled it off was Liev Schreiber I think had the voice for it in into the spider verse but obviously that's an animated film but i thought yeah. it, vocally I, I was like wow that really feels like kingpin um but d'onofrio back
1: great and his kingpin voice like Kingpin voice it just like is devourous in a way it's it so imposing it consumes and consumes you so much i i also
0: love tony dalton more I, <laughs> I, he's, especially when you find out he's not the bad guy
1: <laughs> he's you just, just like rebel and just like his just absolute just ludicrous character. He's I, he's a foppish rake to talk uh, to borrow Britishisms. That's what he is. He is, he's, he is and just to see
0: him just have fun in this world and especially he gets involved he it kills a couple guys. With yeah. A sword. You're like, all right, fine. Like I know the is supposed to have a bigger role in the comics. I would love to see him and something else. Nothing huge. I don't need to see him as a part of the Avengers or whatever. But just one more time.
1: I heard I heard a story about him talking to Bob Odenkirk, who plays uh, the lead character in Better Call Saul, uh, where uh, Tony Dalton is a very imposing uh, antagonist, but in a same in a sort of like devil care uh, Joker esque sort of way. Um, and uh, I I guess Bob was like, oh, like what's that show about? And 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 he was just Tony Dalton was like, oh. it was just a bit of fun for the kids don't worry you don't have to worry about it and it's like yeah that's it's so clear that he's having a great time and it's just like uh he's just perfect and it's and i love that they like didn't make him part of the villainous like infrastructure of this it's just so much more fun that he's just like a ridiculously silly man (laughs) yeah like the fact he's not like somehow affiliated with fisk is no he's nothing to do with anything he's just earnestly reading books about how to parent adult stepchildren (laughs) <laughs> it like, makes me love him more. Like if we do see
0: Kate Bishop, I kind of want to see him still in her life somehow. Yeah, and, you know, I think that would be great. Um, I do love the Kate elena relationship even more. The cosplay stuff still plays for me. Like that still I, plays just a lot. That
1: of stuff I didn't love as much know, when we watched.
0: The scene, the scene where he's signing up for stuff. Like I thought that was funny.
1: I will also say, like, I think Linda Cardellini gives an all time great uh, Wife on the Other End of the Phone performance. And that is a steep competition. I think Laura Linney's been Wife on the Other End of the Phone like four times in movies. Uh, I think that Linda Cardellini just does an excellent job. And also, there was like a rumor of like, it looked like she wasn't actually ever on set with anyone else. (laughs) And when I watched it the first time around, I was like, I didn't really notice that. Watching it this time around, it is very clear (laughs) that she's. Dude, she is never. I'm no, there's she's a couple of there's like in the finale there's a few moments where they ha- she has to share a scene with people in like their cabin or whatever and it's just like it's so clear that it's like the good wife effect where she's just being superimposed into a scene and was literally not there <laughs> which is like great I love that for her good for her I hope she cashed those checks and she earned them she was great every time she was on the phone with him I love talking her. in code being charming. I'm sure it's much easier to play that when you don't have to do it opposite Jeremy Renner directly. (laughs) She did it through the Jeremy Renner app. Don't worry. That's how she
0: called it in. Uh, But it's, uh, if you don't know what that is, look it up. It's a trip. Uh, But I just, it's just such, I just, I just love it. It's such a warm Christmassy thing. Like I'm a sucker for Christmas stuff. And this, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't lessened in any way. And Vera for Amiga is, she's great. <laughs> she's just great. I loved it. Like I just like give uh, like I would love to see
1: her come back. But I, the part where like Kate just like she like her mom saves her life basically right from Kingpin. Like Kingpin like helps like yeah. like she like de like immo- like she immobilizes Kingpin for at least a little while before Kate finishes him off. And then like Kate's done fighting Kingpin and she just gets her mom arrested immediately on Christmas and it's just I don't know the second time watching it it really made me laugh like this is cold-blooded like your mom did some messed up stuff for sure she did murder someone (laughs) but just like on Christmas you don't want to like have a conversation first where you're like maybe you should turn yourself in you just literally called the cops on her. (laughs) <laughs> it's, and she's like, "Is this how heroes treat their mothers?" <laughs> and it's like, I don't know, that's I a mean, bit far. First off, first off, <laughs> first off, no one's delivering
0: that line like Buraformiga, and I, it was perfect. It was just everything about it was great. great. Um, I, uh, I some of the Hawkeye stuff, some of his like you said, some of his like mopey moments aren't great. Uh, but I like the ending a lot. Like it's a passing of the torch, and I guess. We'll segue, if you want to segue into the final segment, because sure. that because my big question to you would be, is that our last Clint Barton?
1: I think so. Well, I think he could pop up as like a mentor in like a scene or two. I don't think that he's going to be like in the mix anymore as a regular character. I that, think it it seems like this was intended as a way to write him off, but it seems like he had, like Jeremy Renner had a good experience and he has a good, like he has great chemistry with Kate, with Haley Seinfeld. So I could see them wanting to tap into that and like having him be around a little bit But I don't think we're going to get him as like an Avenger anytime soon. You know, I think it's really passing of the torch to Kate, really. And we haven't talked that much about Kate, about Haley Seinfeld. And that's just because it's like so easy to take for granted how fantastic she is on this show. But she's so fantastic on this show. She's, like, instantly a top-tier MCU character in a way that just, like, is so endearing, and it's just, like, a breath of fresh air that we need in this story where we're just talking about people who have been traumatized. And it's notable that, like, she didn't make the rankings for us. Her trauma isn't the thing that's really motivating her. She's really... It's not this, like, over... She did she does have loss by the end of this. She's basically an yeah. orphan. But she is so, like open-hearted and optimistic and in a way that like you need from like it's truly that breath of fresh air that a new generation can give you after you've been kind of burdened by so much that you've gone through yourself and I think she just she just plays it so well like she has so much fun in this like when even in the very first episode where she's trying to sneak around and like and find out what's up with the auction and she's just like oh gary sent me over here and he's like she's like okay fine and then like she another she's like who told you to be here like gary did and she's like you're i i'm gary and you're like oh well i quit you don't even know who i am (laughs) just like (laughs) very fun uh and and i think like all of her stuff with the tracksuit mafia is really fun the Uh... kb toys fight sequence perfect we haven't talked enough about the arrows. They really have a good time with all the trick arrows and things like that. Just so yeah. fun. We could do a whole episode on our favorite arrows and stuff like that. Oh,
0: I, I like the one everyone hates. The pin Particle one that turns into the big arrow. I oh, like. that's it's great. So, it's, I love it. Everyone's like, I look so bad. I'm like, no, it's supposed to. That's it's supposed silly. To. It's I, silly. Have fun, people. Oh, Jesus. It is, it is so fun. The one thing I love about Kate Bishop's character is this, I feel could be wrong i could be getting it wrong the first hero we're gonna get that was inspired by the first avengers like like yeah. we're actually seeing the positive like we're seeing the next generation of, of kids who are like a, a kid who was actually inspired to become a hero it's not like peter who like was bit by radioactive spider and he's he's spider-man like it's like she wants to be a hero
1: yeah, you now, could also argue that Yelena has been inspired by our by Natasha to become a hero.
0: Yeah, because that's already become – that came out before – yeah, timeline yeah.
1: has happened before that. Timeline. We haven't talked about that yet. We will talk about it next month, yeah. but technically that came out before this.
0: Right. So – I forgot. And so so she's like – but we're seeing her, but she's also – yeah, so she's one of these street-level or like non – uh, elevated, enhanced personalities, you know what I mean? She's just a regular yes. person who's really good at shooting arrows. And she now becomes, she takes the mantle, and I feel that's, like, a really cool way to do it, to be, have, here's someone young. It's not like Sam was Falcon, he's picking up Steve's shield. It's Sam's like, getting
1: a promotion. and yeah. And and Kate has spent her life trying to become, the, like, idolizing this, working up to become the person, you know? And
0: that's that's what I like about it. It's like we get this this version of it. One of the first characters we get. But also the difference between yeah, I know Yelena was inspired to be, but she didn't, you know, she didn't start out that way. So I'm saying like mm-hmm. eight, like was your first like ground like from a small child. Step one to you know, completion right there. So yes. she's one to two, she's she's A to Z. She's gotten there. And, and uh, also,
1: so like, I feel like some people are like, "Well, why would she idolize Hawkeye?" And I think that they make a really good argument in the show. Yeah. There's this, there's this quote that I wrote down where she says, "You showed me that being a hero isn't just for people who can fly or shoot lasers out of their hands. It is for anyone who is brave enough to do what's right, no matter the cost." And when she says that, she sounds just like Steve Rogers, and that's yeah. I love that because I feel like a lot of the ways that Tony like really fell for Peter in the sort of, I want to mentor you. You're going to be a great hero one day is in civil war is because he talked in a way that really invoked Steve Rogers unknowingly. And I feel like here, Kate does that as well with that line to, to Clint in a way that is really powerful. And I think is like this mission statement for the whole series.
0: I agree. (laughs) I, I really do. It's just, and it's like, you need that. And that's what makes Kate so great is just like this, optimism it's optimism in a time of darkness we've just talked about trauma and processing trauma and how much hawkeye is going through that she is the person to right person to take up the mantle because she has that idealism that genuine idealism and then now that can be played in future movies that can be played with her idealism with working with elena who's been very jaded and and hurt by the world whereas kate has not really had that experience. So it'll be, and they'll inform each other of, of that. And I think that's a great thing to play with. Like, just like the Steven there, they technically could be the new Steven Tony. With they how, could. I, and I actually really hope they are. I
1: think they, they do a nice job of trying to set them up as the new Clint and Natasha, where they, they actually, their introduction to each other is a, like a replication of Clint and yeah. Natasha's introduction to each other, where uh, like Clint, like Kate meets Yelena on the roof as Yelena is trying to kill uh, Clint and Kate has a, has a moment where she could take the shot and potentially take her out. Maybe not, definitely, since Elena is very skilled. But there is one specific moment and they really make a moment out of it where she could take the shot and she decides not to and lets her get away. And that is of course the origin story of, you know, Clinton and Natasha's relationship. So I thought that was a nice kind of ode to that past. But I agree in terms of like the building of this new young generation, they totally could be the the Steve and Tony of it all. Yeah, because I think they'll be at the they could be at the forefront of of all of this. So, it'd be so very, speaking of the forefront of what's to come, like to infinity and beyond, like where do you expect to see these characters next? I don't know. That was my <laughs> first thing. I was thinking about
0: this in my car ride to and from work. I'm like, I don't know where they're gonna show up. I mean, you would assume you could see y- Elena in Thunderbolts, but what about Kate? Well, I mean, you could see her there too. But I feel like they're so good, you just can't keep them on the bench for. Two years, you know what I mean? Like there has to be yeah. something.
1: I some, mean, although that's pretty standard for an MCU character, right? We don't get them every single year. They, no, we okay. kind of like to put them on the shelf and let other people play for a while. But it's a little
0: different because now we just don't have movies. now I think that that theory held up for movies. We now have movies and TV shows, so there's a lot more properties coming out. It's just like it's true. So you're gonna have like you said, eight properties a year. So like. You know, think of how many we had this year or gonna have this year, including that um, Halloween special that I know that drives you up a wall. and um and we'll have the uh, and then we'll have all the stuff in twenty twenty three and if you don't see them in twenty four, you're like, That's that's a lot of properties you're not seeing him for. That's like math that I don't want to do right
1: now. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. I think that I think that we're definitely going to see Elena in Thunderbolts. I think it would be the only way that doesn't happen is that, like, she can't make it work with her very busy schedule. Otherwise, I think the whole point of Thunderbolts is to build a property that she can anchor because she just burst out. Through Black Widow and this is just a clear like star on the rise for the MCU that they're going to exploit. I think could Kate be in that as well. It's very possible if Thunderbolts ends up being a sort of Thunderbolts versus Young Avengers, where Yelena is sort of like, has to very much like Natasha in Civil War, flip sides halfway through. Uh, we could definitely see that as an arc come like and seeing what goes on with that uh could there be a young just uh, a young avengers tv show or movie in that long list of unannounced titles, we might find that out next month uh, when we get our D23 panel, so I think we'll definitely have a clearer sense uh, a month from now, what's going to be out and and where they might factor in but we're definitely going to get them we're going to get them more, and we know that Wilson is going to Fisk is going to be back uh, in Daredevil okay. we know for sure, and we ha- know I believe we know for sure, if not it is heavily rumored, that he will be returning for Echo as well, so we're I definitely going to get that. I feel like that's already I feel like I just saw something. He might have even been on the set today for that.
0: It's entirely possible. But I think... So we know we're going to echo the show. I don't know. But going back to Kate Bishop for a second, wasn't there a whole comic series where she just goes to California and, like...
1: Well, so in the comic books, uh, Hawkeye was one of the, like, main members of what was called the West Coast Avengers. Uh, And when she takes over the Hawkeye mantle... Uh, she joins the, the, a new version of the West Coast Avengers as well. Um, I don't think we're getting a West Coast Avengers team. I Fair think enough. that, I mean, like a
0: Kate Bishop, like I could see a Kate Bishop series where she goes to school in California where she's out in California and that's where her and you could see her more of her and Yelena you start building the young Avengers that way. Well,
1: I think that she could also, you know, she could settle in San Francisco where I think she has spent time in the comic books and that would set her up to meet Cassie Lang who we know will be featured in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania and she will be uh, a mini Wasp of some name that we will find out eventually. (laughs) Uh, No good options on that one, but uh, we'll see what they come up with for the movie. So I could definitely see that. I could see them like kind of making the West Coast, maybe like a hybrid of west coast avengers and young avengers out there in san francisco it's a possibility i I wouldn't be surprised if like one of the end credit scenes for ant-man and the wasp is kate and uh cassie meeting that could be a fun tease towards the young avengers i just don't think you
0: keep both of them just sitting around collecting dust for a few years and then just reintroducing them i think they're too good of characters especially leading characters to not capitalize on for shows or movies um
1: i don't think that kate bishop is going to show up in in echo or daredevil though in like the street level stuff happening in new york i don't think we're going to see her there again I do think that Echo is going to feature uh, Wilson Fisk and we know uh, right. Daredevil is going to be appearing there as well. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if Echo after her series ends up becoming a part of the Daredevil season, which is 18 episodes long. So they have plenty of room to service a lot of characters.
0: The only other thing I could think of with with Kate is I know she Hulk is an attorney and I know she works with insecurity Could there be something there? I don't know. That might be a stretch.
1: It's possible. They could do a cameo sort of situation. I don't think that we're going to be getting an arc for her on She-Hulk, though. I think that (laughs) show has a lot more going on in the first place. So I don't think there's room for that. (laughs) No, no, no. I just meant like like an end credit, like a stinger, like something like that. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, But what's your thoughts on the Echo series? I'm looking forward to it. I think that she, I think Alakwa Cox did a really great job establishing her as a character that we want to learn more about. I think the status quo of her kind of going up against uh, Kingpin, who we didn't talk about, but kind of ends with this tease of like they confront each other and there's there's a bullet that like someone shoots a gun, but we don't see what happens. Uh, the implication is that she shoots him in the face as she does in the comic book. And then he has like a, a eye patch, uh, which would be fun. Uh, so we'll see. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not opposed to an eye patch. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we'll see, we'll see about that. But I, I, the idea of her kind of going up against Fisk and meeting other, uh, street level heroes who also have a bone to pick with Fisk along the way, I think there's a really strong chance of that working out well. So I'm I'm yeah. looking forward to it. And some of the supporting cast that they've announced, uh, the is intriguing to me. I, I really like some of the actors that they have on ready to go for that. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I know some people are like, did she pop enough in Hawkeye for me to care about her? For me, the answer is yes. If the answer is no to you, then I guess it's more of a wait and see. But uh, for me, it's a yes. And by adding these other
0: characters and adding her to that street level Marvel, I think really will help bring in uh, you know. People who might not have heard of her before, maybe didn't watch Hawkeye, to hear like Daredevil or Kingpin, will be involved. I think we'll draw people in to watch it, and I would, you know, so I think that would be pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I still am curious how
0: the street, all the street level stuff, will tie into Kang and all that sort of stuff, but we'll have to see.
1: We'll have to see. There's a rumor that, you know, Daredevil is 18 episodes long because it's setting up a kind of big, uh team up event inside of that series Mm. and that that could be kind of like the crescendo point for all of these street level heroes. That would be fun. I don't know if it's true or not. We will have to wait a couple years to find out. But I think, you know, in Secret Wars, when everybody's running around in different universes, all of these characters could pop up in fun ways. That's a good point. So we have a long way to go until we get there, but we only have a couple of weeks to go until our next episode where we talk about all of the films that were released in 2021. Uh, That includes Black Widow. That includes uh, Shang-Chi. That includes Eternals. And that includes uh, the juggernaut that was Spider-Man No Way Home that Bill will be watching for the very first time. Very excited. Uh, Bill will be watching three out of the four for the first time. Uh, which I can't wait, and you know the one that he has already seen is one that feels like a very Bill movie, so I think rewatching it is going to be a lot of fun for him, and it'll be a lot of fun for us to talk about. But until then, Bill, where can we find more of your stuff out there on the internet?
0: Real quick, follow me on Twitter if you must. Add rights It's mostly weird stuff about wrestling that if you don't follow it, you won't get, which is fine. But it's also a lot of retweets and likes. From stuff you'll find at thepopbreak.com we're celebrating 13 years at the end of september uh check us out every day thepopbreak.com music movies television comic books pro wrestling anime digital trends all sorts of great stuff uh check out my podcast socially distanced which drops every single friday on all your favorite uh streaming platforms in uh, the coming weeks we just did our an episode on our flag means death We'll be talking and all this stuff going on with Warner Brothers Discovery. We're going to be doing an episode on The Sandman, Andor, Lord of the Rings, House of the Dragon, She Hulk, NFL. We got a whole great couple of weeks lined up for you guys. And yeah, that's, uh, that's all I have to plug myself.
1: As for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mediathinkings. Uh, you can follow my film podcast, Cinema Joes, at Cinema Joes on Twitter. Cinema Joes on all major podcast platforms. We have a lot of fun stuff coming up, we talked about Thor 4 not that long ago with Pop Break's Josh Chernacki. Uh A couple weeks ago we talked about Nope with uh, George Heffler, who once upon a time did stuff with Pop Break. I don't know if they, he's been doing stuff with them lately, uh, but he's got a great podcast called Best Little Horror, Best Little Horror House in Philly, uh, which has been getting really exciting, uh, famous people to appear recently, so very cool. If you want to listen to my episode of his uh, podcast, you can go back a couple years and see me talk about Paranorman which is my favorite horror movie because I don't like horror movies that much but that movie's great (laughs) yeah you can hear me talk about Big Trouble in Little China yeah Uh, which was also not really a horror movie but a fun episode so check that out um we'll also be doing a fall preview episode in a couple weeks gonna be fun uh for the TV break, uh, another podcast that I do with Bill and Josh and uh, you can uh, subscribe to that on Pop Break TV. Uh, last month we talked uh, about uh, the streaming wars. We talked about Amazon's Paper Girls, which is a show that we all really, really loved, really fun. Uh, next month we have our big Emmy preview where we kind of talk about our favorite film, our favorite movies, no, our favorite TV shows from. The last Emmy calendar year, Uh, we have a special guest, uh, Matt, Matt Taylor, (laughs) to to talk about that. We have a special guest, Matt Taylor, to talk about that. It's going to be really fun. And we're also going to be reviewing House of the Dragon. Uh, So if you want to hear Bill talk about House of the Dragon twice, tune into Pop Break, uh, because you're going to get a lot of House of the Dragon content, even though uh, Bill would probably prefer that we didn't. Uh, So... And uh, of course you can listen to more stuff on this feed. Uh we got a lot of fun movie podcasts, some music podcasts, even a wrestling podcast every once in a while. Uh you can talk you can listen to Bill talk about um, Vince McMahon uh stepping down from WWE um in this podcast feed or uh, or no on social distance. Uh <laughs> which not we chose we allowed him to talk about wrestling uh once on social distance when um, Al left for the weekend. Um but yeah, so that's all the stuff you could follow. Uh, just go to com, click on the podcast tab, find all that stuff out. Uh, it's going to be really fun. Bill, so excited to be talking to you about Phase 4 movies next month. I can't wait.
0: And the episode will
1: be a lot shorter. And, by the way, before we talk about that, we will have another bonus podcast in your feed uh, talking about all of the news that we expect to see from D23 the first week of September, so or the second week of September, I think. So, very excited uh, to find out what Feige has in store for us with little tidbits he left on uh the cutting room floor in san diego comic-con to to distribute for us on D d23 so definitely check that out when it hits your feed probably the monday after d23 hopefully he talks about the halloween special Even if he says it's not happening anymore, I'm fine with that. I don't care about Werewolf by Night. I just don't know why they produced an entire season of TV, whatever, and they're not acknowledging it. It's bizarre, and we need answers, and we will get it the next time you hear from me. So until then, see you later.